lot of these late night movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddies where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel, most times they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And I'm here because I was in the comic book. I was <laughs> spoiled for choice for quotes for this movie. Like, this movie just has, well, one, I love most of the dialogue in this movie. But when I was, like, watching it and thinking of what I was going to, who I was going to say I was or what I was at the start of this episode, I, I think I had to go with the comic book one because that might be my favorite little meta joke in the movie. But there's so many good ones. Like, and if I could go back in time, I'd want to meet Snoopy. <laughs> and, I, and I thank God every day that I knew the words to enter Sandman. <laughs> oh, du jour means seatbelts. Du jour means crash positions. I love that at the beginning. <laughs> this is, oh, this is great. This is, I think I mentioned last week, that we're getting into probably the two weeks that Rob is most excited for in the 2001 Fort year. And then everything is going to crash and burn after Josie and the Pussycats and Freddy Got Fingered, both figuratively because we're going to do Shrek, and literally because we're going to do Pearl Harbor. So this might be the peak of the fort year for me, Zach, these two weeks. (laughs) It's funny you mention it, because going through the the schedule, like creatively speaking, this is, I think, the most audacious period in 2001, because after this, everything else outside of maybe, like, what, AI, artificial intelligence... Is like creatively a misfire, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, absolutely. I, I, I think that's a I great do, way to put it. <laughs> and I do think AI is also a creative misfire, but at least, at least it's an audacious misfire. I'll give you that. I'll give you that it's audacious. That's going to be a, a – it's been a while since I've had a full episode. I'm going to get to yell about how much I hate sentimentality regarding robots. <laughs> yes. The Beepoo Trash Can Dilemma, an entire episode devo- devoted to it. Who's blowing up robots in that movie? Is it Jude Law? I side with Jude Law in that movie. Whoever's blowing no, up Ju- robots. No, Jude Law, is, Jude Law is a pimp robot. No, he's a, a, a <laughs> what? No, what is he? He's a, oh, God, a gigolo. He's a gigolo robot. Okay, okay. I, I remember somebody's blowing up robots at some point, and I'm like, that's that's the character that you should be getting behind. <laughs> <laughs> Oh god, I haven't seen that movie in so long. And I've only I think I've only also seen that once. You know what movie I haven't seen at at once? I've seen many times. And you know what movie I've seen very recently? Josie and the goddamn <laughs> Pussycats. <laughs> so, I love this movie, and I think I've gathered you love this movie too, Zach, because uh I I don't want to blow up your spot here, but you bought it on DVD. Good old DVD. <laughs> That's the thing, Rob, is like I, I don't want to jump too far into context because I think we're still just explaining what this movie is. But I, 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 like you said, I just bought it on DVD, so I'm not sure if I've loved it for that long. I've always been a, I've been aware of the novelty that it is. Okay. But I, I don't know. I, I, I do love it, but I don't think I've been converted to the faith until just recently. Ah, nice, nice. Um, are you a, were you or are you or have you been like an Archie Comics fan or anything like that? I, I've always been aware of Archie comics, but I've never been a fan of them. Okay, okay. That's the same thing with me, that I don't really know much about the Archie universe except what you know through cultural osmosis and uh, something Zach mentioned before we started recording, the Riverdale TV show. I have never seen the Riverdale TV show. I just know that it is batshit insane. Uh, it's on its fifth season currently, as we're recording this and I think when this is going to come out. 
the last thing I heard about Riverdale is that the Mothman is involved. And I'm not kidding you, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard, I have heard that it does, like, have Twin Peaks-y elements. Yeah, I think that's where it, like, pops up in my... Uh my like news feeds or whatever is because when I look for like Twin Peaks and weird stuff, for some reason Riverdale gets lumped into that. And I see headlines that mention like Mothman and stuff like that. And I know it came up a bunch when Luke Perry died because I know Luke Perry was in it from the start, I think. Um, But I've never seen it. It it seems absolutely ridiculous. I was actually looking into a little bit before we started recording. Um, And the last episode that aired as of the time of this recording is Season 5, Episode 8, and the synopsis on Wikipedia starts with the phrase, Jughead struggles with his possible alien encounter. <laughs> Why not? And so Why I was not? like, okay, I'm, I'm checking out. <laughs> I, I did notice, though, that uh, the name jumped out at me because it was so, so strange that this last episode was also directed by Rachel Talalay. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. But that's the same person that directed Tank Girl and apparently also directed Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. So look at that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I have to say, I recognize the first, like, part of that name. And I'm like, why does that sound familiar? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She hasn't really done anything of, of substance since the 90s. She's doing Riverdale now. She's directing The Mothman. Why not? <laughs> the why jug not? Moth, the Mothhead. I don't know. I hope, I hope there's like fly type uh, – cross contamination going on where it's like Archie crossed with Dracula and Jughead crossed with the Mothman. I just assume that show is absolutely insane. <laughs> All I've heard about that show can be like insanely raunchy at times. Like it pushes the boundary for like what you can get away with on like almost broadcast television. Uh oh, uh oh. Well that's not good because we know that the Archie comics is a wholesome family endeavor. Yes. And yes. that the Josie and the Pussycats two thousand one movie is way too raunchy for them. So I think the raunchiest that uh, Riverdale could get is maybe showing a woman's shoulder. Is that too extreme? (laughs) As long as everybody is brushing their teeth, Rob. As long as everybody is brushing their teeth, I think that is the barrier to entry. Oh, my God. Now I just hope that there's going to be an upcoming episode of Riverdale where the Mothman brushes his teeth and talks about the ethics of laundry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh god. But yes, Rob, I'm glad you brought up like earlier on about like how this episode is just like an embarrassment of riches when it comes to quotable dialogue. Because it's just like 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 you said before, you mentioned a couple about du jour, (laughs) about all this other stuff. Like some of my favorites is we're special, yeah. Special Ed and it just goes on and on like some of this the quotable dialogue about having a list for being albino, um the government, um subliminal advertising. Uh it's like truly like honk if you like pussycats beautiful a, a beautiful film that i will definitely talk about this uh, definitely on the more philosophical side in the coming like minutes but like i want to say it's ahead of its time because as i was watching this and there's something just kind of keep in the back of your head throughout the discussion i don't know if this movie would find an audience like a wide uh, mainstream audience in any decade um. like like this film is so niche in what it's trying to do I don't think there's any time period, at least from what I can tell, 20 years later, <laughs> that this film would have excelled in. Sure, sure. But I'm glad that it tried because, you know, as they say, when the tough gets going, the tough make lemonade. 
Oh god, beautiful, beautiful. The end, like the last few, not last few. There's actually a good bit at the end of my notes are just quotes from the movie. <laughs> it's perfect, Rob. It's oh god. Like I say, I guess just a little bit of background on this movie before we get into like context. Sure. Is that like like it's 2001. This was back in the time period where like Hollywood was like trying to adapt like niche properties. But at the same time, it's not like the same thing that's going on now where like you watch Riverdale. And I know Josie and the Pussycats do show up in Riverdale, but like it's where Riverdale kind of has all the characters there. Mm -hmm. This was back in the time where like uh, studios deliberately split up properties. Yeah. So like like even though Riverdale, like the location is mentioned in Josie and the Pussycats 2001, there's pretty much no mention of like Jughead, Archie, Betty and Veronica, like – Everything was kind of deliberately and intentionally split up. Yes, yeah, yeah. There's, I don't think there's a single mention of Archie in this in this movie. And this had to be around the same time that Sabrina the Teenage Witch was on TV, right? I'd say this is probably toward the tail end of that because that oh, started okay. what, like in the in the like in the mid to late nineties. So I think like the Melissa Joan Hart like series was kind of. I could be wrong, but I want to say that ended in like two thousand two. Oh, okay, okay. But I could be wrong because I, I know that show ran longer than I always thought it did. Okay, yeah, I don't know my timing of that, but but I do know that which seems most people don't know is that Sabrina the Teenage Witch was also an Archie Comics character. She was. It ended in two thousand three. It ended in ah, two thousand three. Okay, okay. Ran for one hundred and sixty three episodes. That is insane. That is insane going on my list. Show- I will watch that next. <laughs> Insane. I can. I know the later that show went on, the more and more it became a nightmare. Like they they ran out of ideas. Uh, sure. I mean, you know, we have talked about on this podcast before. Sabrina goes to hell, uh, which is the true title of Sabrina. Sabrina goes down under. With, uh, of course, our favorite line. Uh, I didn't know he was a mer man. I had no idea he was a mer man. And you could tell they were running out of ideas at that point because, as I said on this podcast when we discussed it and I watched that movie, the A-plot is the cat trying to have sex. <laughs> that is the A-plot. Sabrina trying to save the, the, the Australian resort is the B-plot. Sexually charged cat antics was how I described that movie, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Sexually charged cat antics. Do we know if that new version of Sabrina that they did on, like, what, Netflix – did that have any connection to, like, the Riverdale universe? I don't know. I really don't know anything about that that adaptation. Um, I think I heard someone talk about it once, and I, and I never heard about it again. <laughs> it only existed. Like, I know people enjoyed it, but, like, I never heard anything about it after, like, the inaugural season. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it got some news time because some some group— or probably person was one singular person was angry at the fact that it was like saying Satan was a good thing or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. It was yeah, probably the same of... people who said that Harry Potter was bad because it had wizardry in it. There, this was like, oh, she's a witch, so she has to worship Satan. You know. <laughs> oh God, that was also in the time period of the early two thousands, like boycotting Harry Potter because it promoted like like satanic rituals and like witchcraft yes yes yeah something i still do to this day boycott harry potter not for those reasons but <laughs> i like how like as time goes on like we like we still boycott things but for very weird reasons yeah yeah exactly i guess like this boycotting will always happen it's just gonna kind of like just depend on which way the wind blows <laughs> oh, oh oh god i wasn't ready for this i don't know how to make the joke but maybe it's something like uh, it 
Zach, is racism the new witchcraft? <laughs> Do we boycott uh, things for racism uh, now when we used to boycott them for witchcraft? <laughs> oh, God. Back in the day where it was like, we didn't understand something. We thought it was a witch, so we must burn it. Yes. Now it's if we don't understand something, we call it racism and we must, we must burn it. <laughs> I, I have to say I love the, that recurring joke in this movie. You know, pink is the new red. This, like, X is the new Y and stuff like that. I'm totally on board with that, except for the one where they say Gatorade is the new Snapple. I will always go with Snapple over Gatorade. And I have to say, the uh, the subliminal messaging, or I guess the liminal messaging in that case, totally worked on me. Because when they were like, Gatorade is the new Snapple, I was like, fuck that. I should go buy a Snapple. <laughs> <laughs> So, so the reverse worked on you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I, I guess I, I this we're gonna have to get to it eventually. This movie has a close relationship in theme and storyline with the Join the Navy episode of The Simpsons. You remember that one where Bart joins the boy Even band? That niyash, <laughs> Even that niyash. Even that niyash. So uh, I watched that episode earlier today when uh, we decided we were going to do Josie and the Pussycats. I was like, oh, I want to watch that beforehand. And the plot is almost identical, except it doesn't have, you know, the, the product placement aspect, the the subliminal messages to get the uh, recruitment for the Navy, which, of course, the even net niage, which is fantastic. This is a season 12 episode of The Simpsons. I actually found out that it came out in February of 2001. So that is earlier than Josie and the Pussycats. But I rewatched the episode. I remembered a lot about it. There was there was a few jokes that I didn't remember. Like there's one where LT Smash. Well, first off, his name is revealed to be Lieutenant LT Smash. Like that's a big twist. <laughs> and then uh, he's like, "Yeah, we've been using uh, sub- like all these different types of conditioning and messaging to recruit for the Navy forever." And he's talking to Lisa, and he says, like, we do subliminal, liminal, and superliminal messaging. And Lisa goes, superliminal? And he goes, yeah, watch this. And he opens his window, like, of his office, and Lenny and Carl are just standing outside of it for no reason. And LT Smash goes, hey, you guys, sign up for the Navy. And they go, okay. And he goes, look, it worked. <laughs> but one one joke, and because I haven't seen this episode in probably, you know, 15 years, if if not more, was that there's when Bart, Nelson, Milhouse, and Ralph are in the boy band, the family is gathered around to like watch the premiere of their new music video. And the music video is where they introduce the Eva Netanyahu and Lisa gets onto the trail of that being subliminal messaging and stuff. But at the start of the music video, it's like, you know, whatever it's it's they're the party posse. That's their band name. The song is Drop Da Bomb, and then it says directed by Ang Lee. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I was like, that is the weirdest joke. Because, like, Ang Lee in 2001 had done, done what? Maybe Crouching Tiger by that point? Like, mm-hmm. this was before Brokeback. This was before Hulk. Like, I don't think people knew who Ang Lee was. <laughs> well, I think he did things like what? What was it? The the Ice Train? Um, was Sense and Sensibility the, the ice storm, the ice before that? I don't know my t- Ang Lee timeline. Um so, but I, I just found that absolutely hilarious that Ang Lee directed a boy band music video in the Simpsons universe. <laughs> oh, good old Ang Lee. 
So so yeah, I had to watch that because it's it's so sim- similar. And I mean, was this a thing? Do you remember Zach or no? Was in the early two thousands or maybe two thousand to two thousand one or maybe even you know in the Y two K pre Y two K era was like subliminal messaging becoming a hot topic? Like were people really knowing about it? Because I was trying to look up, I think it was years after 2001, like maybe in the 2010s, that Mark Mothersbaugh came out and said, like, I put a bunch of subliminal messages in my commercial jingles and stuff. Do you know if, like, subliminal messaging was a hot topic in the early 2000s? Uh, I I don't like it's always been something of interest. Yeah. Like even going back to like our like room two thirty seven, they talk about stuff like that. Oh, I think ever since the sixties, like subliminal like advertising has always been a thing mm-hmm. that people are very very leery of. I, I I don't know if there was specific to the late nineties it being like a major major like theme concern. Maybe on the advent of like digital advertising and like the internet coming really into like mainstream but like nothing that i can really like remember okay okay i just found it so strange that that this like josie and the pussycats and the simpsons episode come out you know the same year may uh maybe what like two months apart from each other and it's, it's i don't know i just found that so strange and you know i think finally after three years of cinemodities I realize now it was probably a bad idea to put the subliminal message in our theme song that said, don't listen to our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) But I love it. I I think I'm with you. It's always been an interesting topic for sure. Um, If anybody – if you Google Mark Mothersbaugh and subliminal messaging, you can find a bunch of examples of him just brazenly talking about all the subliminal messages that contradicted the product they were selling that he put in jingles from like, you know, the 90s to the early 2000s. (laughs) (laughs) That explains why I bought all the Rugrats merchandise I did back in like the mid to late 90s. (laughs) There there you go. Yep, yep. And remember, Zach, Mark Mothersbaugh was a member or probably is still a member of the Church of the Subgenius. So it all comes together. (laughs) It makes perfect sense now. Do you say it like that? Yeah, I guess before we go into context, just to give a little bit of uh, like a summary on this film, is like I think like to describe this film, like just giving it like a synopsis, I think is to almost like deprive the film of its potency because like I remember like I I guess okay I guess I'll blend the line or blur the line between context and like synopsis right now sure because like I was always aware of this film ever since it was released like in two thousand one because like I saw the trailer. I forget what, like, VHS I had, but the trailer always played in front of it. And, like, if you – I even rewatched the trailer today because it was on the DVD that I bought. And the trailer makes the film look so basic. Mm-hmm. Like, painfully basic. Like, early – two, like, like it's, like, it's perfect, like, concentrated early 2001's nonsense. Okay. And I love it for that reason. But I think it also was, like, a detriment to the film's – overall success at the time and even 20 years later sure sure i I guess i have to ask on that topic about pure concentrated 2001 is this soundtrack something you regularly listen to (laughs) oh uh to answer your question for the most part no except for one exception okay i I was always aware of the soundtrack of this because getting into contacts like my nephew he was more fond of this movie for the obvious reasons because of this, the, the overall like just like girl power message that he always kind of glommed on to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember him getting into – him and I like talking about like the – like what was it? Uh, five hours and six long days yep. till the blah, 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 blah. Six, four hours and six long days. 
and like I remember that. But the song that I really always glommed onto that to this day I think is like like as time goes on I find it more and more brilliant, especially that it opens the film <laughs> is is backdoor lover sure <laughs> like think about how many mainstream studio films can open up with a song about anal sex and like it's so perfectly veiled that nobody picks up on it it is the, the beginning of this movie is is probably a masterpiece because it starts with the ugliest shots of fans screaming directly into the camera and transitions into that song back to our lover. <laughs> and I love when movies start with people screaming directly at the camera, but they don't make any of it look good in this. And I love that aspect of it. <laughs> Speaking of like screaming, I, I was watching one of the very few like YouTube commentary videos on this. I went and apparently this film is what around 90 minutes long, give or take. Yeah. Nine minutes of the film involves people screaming into the camera. There's a, there's a good bit of it. And they always have like the fisheye lens on for those shots and stuff like that, making it even more uncomfortable. <laughs> oh yeah. Like there's like, like, like there's, this movie is a hundred percent aware of what it's doing. Oh yeah. Like this is like, it's, it's weird to say this about Josie and the Pussycats 2001, but you can not like this film, but you can't complain that, like, it does anything wrong, like, by accident. You can yeah. argue what the choice is, but you can't claim that anything was accidental. Because I think this film is very much aware of everything that happens in it. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. And I think this is something I've thought for a long time with my history of this movie. And I find absolutely ridiculous that, like, mainstream critics at the time this came out thought something completely different. Like uh, there, I, I know the um, I guess the 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 key word or the word of the episode for this movie would be product placement, but I don't even like calling any of this product placement because to me, product placement is a, in a movie is when some company pays the movie to put their product in it, and yes, this movie has a lot of product products on display, which we're going to talk about the set design of this movie specifically the airplanes that I love. But none of the companies paid to have those products in there. And I, I, when I was reading reviews at the time for this movie, it seems like most critics were like, this movie's goofy, uh, but the product placement seems hypocritical, which is baffling to me. How can anybody see the way that advertisements are displayed in this movie and think it's done sincerely? <laughs> I think, like I say, I'm going to steal this point from Rod's favorite podcast, Blank Check, who covered this movie. Why the hell would they ago. do this movie? Because the what, person Elf, who, what is it? Elfont and Hen, what are the directors? They've only done like two movies, right? They talked about this movie because the person in charge of their social media, they allowed them to pick a movie. And this is what they picked. And this is where, like, blank check so is they can just do whatever the best. fuck they want? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, basically. Um, and this is where blank check is at its best. Just Zach, you like... have a cat. What does your cat want us to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, Rob. But no, like, like, in that episode of blank check, apparently, like, Griffin brings up the point that, like, a lot of critics, like, especially Roger Ebert, who gave this a half a star out of four. <laughs> like, talk about, like, like just missing the point of this film entirely. Yes. But I think the point that, again, Griffin, like, brings this up is that, like, a lot of people thought this, like, the film was trying to have its cake and eat its two when it came to, like, the product placement. 
in this in the sense of like they thought that they were trying to get the money from the companies and then also use them in this like, satirical like, way. Yeah. Yeah, like lampoon it. Like get the money and also lampoon the idea of product placement at the same time. Okay, but but it, I think it is a fact, and this is of course something that's on the um, which we now know is not the bastion of truth, IMDb <laughs> trivia. But there is a lot of stuff that backs up that, like all almost all of the products in this movie were not they did not receive money for. I think the only one I found yeah. actual evidence that they found money for was Puma. The shoes. yes, they got the, yeah. Yeah, apparently they got some ver. I think Puma donated something to the, like to the like uh, production of the film. Okay, okay, but I I I don't. And even when I read stuff about this movie today, they still called it product placement. And I understand that 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 term or phrase perfectly describes what they're doing. They are taking a product and placing it in this movie. But I really want to make the distinction of product placement being that they actually were paid for it. You know, it's like I. I don't think that you can say, like, in Blue Velvet, when uh, Dennis Hopper is screaming about Pabst Blue Ribbon, I don't think you can call that product placement, because Pabst did not pay David Lynch to get that in the movie. So I, I, I want to make that distinction. So there's very little pr- product placement in this movie, but oh my god, there are so many products placed in this movie. <laughs> well, I think it's called product placement because there's really no other word for it, like, in this context. Yes, like, think that's about the problem. Like, we need to come up with the word, like, uh, instead of, like, mise-en-scene, like, mise-en-product or something like that. <laughs> well, it's, like, faux product placement. Yeah, yeah. But that's the thing, though. But, like, if you're not really clued in, and also consider, like, in 2001, there wasn't the sort of, like, marketing mm-hmm. and like peek behind the curtain when it comes to like movie making as there is now so it probably would have been very very hard for them to communicate this especially also in a time like in 2001 where things were very much like god we're so cynical by today's standards compared to 20 years ago that unless you're really probably like had an interview with the filmmakers okay you never would have known otherwise that's a, that's a good point and that that brings up something where probably if if they were trying to uh like the directors Elfont and Kaplan or, or you know anybody involved in this movie were trying to say this to some news outlet or critics or something they'd be like no no we didn't like this was all purposeful you know we didn't uh we weren't paid to literally line an airplane with ivory dish detergent and bounce uh, dryer sheets, they'd be like, yeah, right, nerd. Like, you probably got millions of dollars for that. But no, that that's an interesting point that back then it was a very different thing with how this stuff got out. Uh, information was disseminated and stuff. I, I do want to mention, because you brought it up, I did read Roger Ebert's review, which is just scathing of this movie. Like, he's basically like, this is not worth anything. There's a really great quote from it, though. Where he says, Josie and the Pussycats are not dumber than the Spice Girls, but they're as dumb as the Spice Girls, which is dumb enough. <laughs> and I'm like, I disagree with you completely, but that's a great thing to say about some like groups of people. Like, X are not dumber than Y. They're as dumb as Y, and that's just dumb enough. <laughs> but yeah, this movie yeah, got I... so much hate when it came out. And now you can find – I didn't watch any of them, but you can find, like, millions of YouTube videos that are like, this movie was misunderstood. This is a hidden classic, blah, blah, blah. And I'm glad it's getting that attention. Um, but I like to say, you know, I was on the hype train before all these people were, Zach. So where's my hipster gold star for the day? <laughs> I know, Rob. I know. You You were deprived. You were deprived. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
Okay, okay. So, I mean, yeah, I think uh, I cut you off from you trying to give a synopsis of this movie, and we just went into product placement. <laughs> uh, I guess the best way, like, I'm just going to steal directly from IMDb. Okay. And that probably the most concise way to describe this is that, like, a girl group find themselves in the middle of a conspiracy to deliver subliminal messages through popular music. Yeah. I mean, that's that's pretty much it. I, I, uh, I think um, maybe to distill it even further— uh, Josie and the Pussycats are the new Spice Girls. <laughs> More or less. More or less. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a pretty basic movie. I think it's uh, what, like you said, you know, we don't want to take away the potency, the essence of it, is that it is such a lampooning of the uh, co- of commercialism, I guess. And, of course, it's focused on the music industry, but it really is of commercialism as a whole. And, um, and you know, I guess, and the the end also gets at some notion of the the power that, you know, people in power, you know, wanting to make themselves better, like with the whole Parker Posey and Alan Cumming, you know, kind of subplot at the end. But but it's great. I guess I guess we'll describe the movie more because I have so much to say about it. Are Should we get into context? Yeah, we'll get into context. Uh, I would. Uh, OK, my context, like I said, I kind of gave most of it away. But I remember seeing this film. I can't even tell you the first time I saw this film. It had to be sometime before like 2006. Okay, so this this answers one of the questions I was going to ask. Uh, I was going to ask if you had a ticket stub for this movie. No, no, this was definitely like as we know, like going through my ticket stubs a couple weeks ago, is that like no, I did not see this. This was something that I I'm trying to think what VHS copy of something I would have had. Mm-hmm. That maybe the Mummy Returns because this was a Universal film. And that was also a, a universal film, I'm thinking. I don't even know the first time I saw this because I know my nephew loved this. Like when, probably my earliest memory of this film is I remember him telling me that like he had a babysitter and he had this on while the babysitter was like watching him. And at that point where like Tara reads like we should have a bake sale <laughs> and the babysitter apparently like found that funny. Like that's like that's like my main earliest memory of this film. I can't even tell you when like I eventually rewatched this film. And, like, I kind of, like, rediscovered it as, like, this ironic masterpiece. And that's the thing. So, like, probably and then after that moment, however long ago that was, I remember when Blank Check did their episode on it about three years ago. And just, like, it, they really doing, like, a deep dive and just how, like, ironic and just, like, this film really knows what it's doing. Mm-hmm. And even in preparation for this episode, like, I, I didn't do that many podcast searches. But, like, even on YouTube, I only found one video that really went into any sort of, like, meaningful dissection of the themes this film is trying to get at. And it was only about nine minutes long. It's And for the most part, it's a pretty clever video, even though I think... It's it's one of those oh god it's this new thing now for like YouTube film criticism where like you have this weird sort of like dichotomy in thought where you either have the super cynical perspective mm-hmm. like like personified by like red letter media sure or it comes down to we must destroy capitalism <laughs> okay <laughs> because like it, it's funny in the uh, video that I watched for this. This YouTube person compares the film positively to Speed Racer. Mm. And they're like, oh, it's another like like ill-forgotten gem of the 2000s that's about how capitalism is evil and must be destroyed. Sure. And I'm like, I, I, I don't think that's the message of either one of those films. <laughs> and, and if it is, it's not that is like intense and – and it's not like the main theme of the film at all. And that's why I find interesting. Like this film for the most part 
is still like I wouldn't even call this a cult film. I would say that it's still very much like whereas like we have like I know we've always talked about a lot where like Evil Dead Two is the greatest example of like a cult film yeah. just teetering on the edge of mainstream. And then you have things like mainstream I'm um, sorry, you have things like Speed Racer that are just now getting their due like a decade and a half later. Then you have this where it's like nobody's even aware of it. Yeah, yep. That I, I agree with you that I, while I think there is some, you know, anti maybe not capitalism, but anti commercialism in this movie, it's definitely not the the main theme or anything like that. Which I also think is not the main theme of Speed Racer, which we got into. Um but it I, I think it is there somewhere at least. I'd say almost it's almost it's almost like uh, like an offshoot of like nihilism. Yeah. It's like the idea that like people who have become like that are part of the machine have become so oh god numb to like the industry they work in and what it could be, mm-hmm. and like it's kind of like it takes that new and up and coming person to kind of like realign and recalibrate everything. Sure, sure. Like, yeah. Josie's story in this is very similar to Speed Racer's, like, story arc in Speed Racer. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And then I think, you know, that is definitely a big thing, Josie's arc. And then also at the end when they go and play their the concert, their first concert, like, real concert, which is hilarious. It's this big arena show, and they get out there, and Josie's like, stop it, everybody take your stupid ear things off, and we're going to play something new. It's okay if you like it. It's okay if you don't like it. Just make the decision on your own. <laughs> Which is weirdly the thesis of Cinematis. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, make the decision on your own, even though, yes, we do employ heavy, heavy, liminal messaging. <laughs> <laughs> My love, like, in that Roger Ebert review, I lo- like, he does a fantastic robism Ooh, okay. of harping on the fact that it's like it's not subliminal it's suboral <laughs> and i and i love that like that he just gets so yeah, hung up yeah. on like the diction and the semantics of it all and it's like jesus it's like he's not wrong but like oh god it's such a weird thing to get hung up on <laughs> sure sure yep yep so so uh I, I guess so. Like you said, the first time you saw this movie was maybe what'd you say? Sometime a little before two thousand six. It had to be sometime okay. in the five year span of two thousand one and two thousand six. Okay, okay. Have you did you, have you watched it like consistently since then, or is it just something? Oh, like no. you said you known about. Yeah, okay. It's it's one of those movies. I'm guessing that I probably got it from the library when I, when I first moved up here to mm-hmm. New York, and then like. I don't know. It probably would have been something that, like, I really – because, like I said, I, I always enjoyed the film, but I I kind of knew everything that happened in it. I, like I said, even, like, I think in preparation – like I'm sorry, not in preparation. Like, after I listened to Blank Check's episode, I got it from the library, and the library had the goddamn stupid PG cut of the movie, <laughs> and I was just like, nope. Like, Rob knows, like, I am very, very, like – fanatical when it comes to watching films like in their original state like if anything is even slightly compromised i'll just do without it and that's the thing like that was three years ago so i probably have not watched this film in probably i'd say 10 to 15 years oh okay okay prior to the viewing for this recording sure sure (laughs) that'd be great zach's like we're doing an episode on it haven't seen in 15 years but here we go (laughs) It's kind of the opposite of like we did for Starship Troopers, where I was just like, Rob, I've seen this film enough. Like, I really don't need to watch it <laughs> yeah. in preparation for like this recording. <laughs> so this was uh, I, 
I also did not see this in theaters. I have no idea why I would have seen this in theaters. You know, I was too busy seeing uh, Spy Kids. But this movie I saw eventually when it came to, like, TV. I have no idea what channel it would have been on. Like, I can imagine it's being big on HBO. That, like I, I, that's I what imagine. I was thinking. Like, either HBO or maybe some, like, TV edit on, on like, an MTV or a, T, uh, a VH1 or something like that. But I don't, I don't remember exactly. But I saw this a bunch when it was on TV when I was younger, like, through those, like, early to mid-2000s. Um, and I definitely loved it. I was definitely, like, so into how, how goofy it was. And I was just entranced by how strangely funny Tara Reid's stupid character is. Like, to this day, I really love Tara Reid's character. And the way there is one scene in this movie when they're in the plane and they're listing off the perks of being rock stars... And Tara, and they're like, and there's food, and there's this, and there's that, and Tara Reid goes, and there's coasters. And the way she says coasters has always just resonated with me hardcore. Hey, you guys. You know how people always say that this is the life? I think this is what they say. Private plane. Record deal. Coasters. Um, So I fell in love with this movie. Once I made it to college and I was uh, collecting files on my hard drive, I was like, I gotta get this. I found it. I think I watched it a few times with some people. Nobody else liked it as much as I did. Uh, As you can imagine, like in my college years, hanging out with, you know, guys of my own age who were just like stoners and stuff. This was not the movie for them. And eventually this movie fell into the category of something I absolutely hate, that when I talk to people about it, they're like, I've never seen it, but I'm going to judge it completely based on the title. And I, I, that's, this movie's in the same, cat in that category, along with, like, Babe 2, Pig in the City, where I, I talk to people about how much I love Babe 2, Pig in the City, and they're like, that's ridiculous, I would never watch that movie, it's like a kid's movie, and I'm like, you are out of your fucking mind, it's like, what if Babe was in Mad Max Village, the movie's about existential dread, it's fantastic, and I, I can't believe, I don't think I'd be able to get anybody I know these days to sit down and watch Josie and the Pussycats without, you know, short of a Ludovico technique type of thing. Um, but I still love it. I, I think I watch it maybe like once every two years. It's something that I'll throw on, you know, if I, if I go past on my hard drive and I'm looking for something to watch. It's so easy to watch and I love it so much. And I'm glad it came out in 2001 so it could be part of this series. Because if it wasn't, just like next week with Freddy Got Fingered, I would have found some way to get it in here. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Like, I just not to jump too far ahead, but like, I just, I don't know how. I, we'll get this definitely when it comes to like late night movie. But like, I just don't know how you sell this movie to people. Yeah, I just, it just, like, unless you force them. Yes. And they really have to be very open mind open minded when it comes to like just movies in general. I, I just don't get like I, I think it's kind of like Halloween three season of the witch again. Yeah. Where it's such a high barrier to entry. It, it just I think people are get so hung up on just what it is. That's a that's another good one. That's probably in the same category with uh I like that we're building this up, my category of movies that people don't want to watch with me because they're stupid. It's <laughs> Josie and the Pussycats, Babe 2, and Halloween 3. <laughs> I think, but, like, I think it comes down to, like, almost the franchise, like, inertia, like, works against the film's, like, yeah. best interest. Yeah, I get, that's a good point. Like, you know, if, if there was something that uh, is, like, a, a 2 or a 3 or of, a, of a franchise that's absolutely different, but people don't know that it's different, that could definitely play a role in it i think the josie and the pussycats it's got to be through cultural osmosis because like we were talking about we know these characters from archie 
Um, I would imagine that if somebody's like, oh, Josie and the Pussycats, maybe they remember Archie. Maybe they remember, like, what, the Hanna-Barbera cartoon or something like that. And they're just like, this is not for me. And that's the thing I think kind of worked against the film's, like, best interest was that, like, if you remember, like, when we were growing up, like, you did have, like – very early in the mornings, like on weekends or weekdays on Cartoon Network, they would play old school Hanna-Barbera cartoons. Yep. So like and, – and like if you go back and look at some of those like original Josie and the Pussycat cartoons, they were kind of stale in like the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. You look mm-hmm. at them now and they're just like as dry as a Danish cookie. <laughs> like it's just like – it's just like, oh god, who who would enjoy this? Unless you have that nostalgia for watching it at the – like – at its inception, nobody's going to care. It's yeah. like almost like a weird sort of like predecessor to like the Lone Ranger. Is that like there's no like some properties are so dusty, there's no amount of like infusing it with new blood that's gonna sit there just carried over the finish line. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But we are here on Cinemodities to tell you to watch this goddamn movie. Um Damn because, straight. because it's fantastic. And I guess maybe we'll talk about this more next week, but it's not really the same category of, like, if you hear Joe's in the Pussycats or Babe 2, where people have this preconceived notion of them not liking it because they think it's going to be basic or childish. I think Freddy Got Fingered is the opposite, where you see, what's the movie? Freddy Got Fingered. It'd be like, I, like, Rob, why do you want to watch porn with me? Seemingly gay porn. (laughs) (laughs) Freddy Got Fingered is definitely a uh, like eyebrow raiser. Like that's one of those ones where everyone's like, "What?" Like that's that, like, yeah. that will get attention. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh man, oh man. So, so uh, with our context out of the way, uh, go watch this movie. I'll sprinkle in sub- some subliminal messaging when uh, when I edit this episode, Zach, to get people to watch this movie. I definitely want to talk about. Well, we we would be talking about uh, Alan Cumming more. But I love that in our Spy Kids episode, I say, I love Alan Cumming, and I want to talk more about him in the Josie and the Pussycats episode, and then we do a deep dive into Alan Cumming's career. So we did that already a few weeks ago. I think someone we didn't get in Spy Kids is Tara Reid. We have to talk about Tara Reid. This has got to be my favorite Tara Reid performance. Do you have a favorite Tara Reid performance, Zach? <laughs> Oh god, you know it's like I was thinking about this movie and like considering this is a cast that has quite a few notable actors in it. Oh yeah. And and like you think about like how Rachel Lee Cook is like the main like build actor mm-hmm. and like in, of the main 3, she re- like I know she still works, but like she has had like the least prolific career since this. And there's uh, an yeah. argument and there's an argument to be made that this film almost—I pretty much killed her like career as like like a leading actress. Sure, sure, yeah. She's—I mean, of the three uh, main girls, uh, Rosario Dawson's the most successful. Um, you know, Rachel Lee Cook—I don't know too much about—and Tara Reid, I think, very famously kind of burnt out. You know, type. Yeah, of thing. exactly. I was gonna say blinked out, but like you. <laughs> Because like that's the fun thing. Like how we, like, I was, I was, I was kind of hoping I could introduce this and have been like this film stars Ahsoka Tano, the star of Paradise, <laughs> and Rachel Lee Cook, spelt with two A's. Um, <laughs> yep. Like, and that's the thing is that like, like I'm surprised Rob, you don't have a lot of context on Rachel Lee Cook because she did like she's done like an insane amount of voice acting. Oh yes, of of course. Um, she's she's not a uh, too big into the ones that that I'm familiar with. I think what isn't she? I think she's the voice of like Aerith in uh, 
in the Final Fantasy uh, live action things. I might be misremembering that, but but her her she's someone who kind of like you know I know from this movie and probably this movie only in in live action. I mean, yeah, like I said, because you kind of look at her filmography. She had the uh, what the uh, My Fair Lady with like like Freddie Prince Jr. And like that was kind of like her big moment. And then like you have this, which is her chance to star like in a major Hollywood film. Mm-hmm. And this just kind of just like like it just film just fell on its face. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. She's Tifa in the Final Fantasy things. Okay, I had my Final that, Fantasy Seven character wrong. <laughs> is that good or bad, Rob? I mean, that is the uh, the Final Fantasy character with the big boobs. So I think that's oh, a good thing. <laughs> it's a good thing. Good. I'm glad. <laughs> That's the one that there's the most uh, fan-drawn porn of on the internet. So, mm. Rachel mm, Lee Cook, right. if you're listening, good for you, I, I guess. <laughs> this character single-handedly has propped up DeviantArt for the last decade. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's the old Disney princesses and, and uh, Tifa Lockhart. <laughs> good, good. And the and the Foogly porn, don't forget, that, that we know exists but we haven't seen. <laughs> we're, we're, we're working on it. <laughs> uh, if it doesn't exist, we are going to definitely get a commission an artist to get to work on it ASAP. <laughs> that would be the greatest email chain. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Um but yeah, like like basically of all them, Rosario Dawson has had the most prolific career because we're still talking about her, what, twenty years later. Absolutely. And even after this, I think, you know, she becomes what uh what's the best word for it? Like um love interest lead actress for many big stars you know i think of um she's the the love interest slash star that they're looking for in men in black 2 um mm-hmm. she's uh, eddie murphy's love interest in the adventures of pluto nash which is another yes. movie we will have to talk about one day the greatest um, film ever made <laughs> and i mean and and probably so many other things i'm not remembering you know so uh what she's in sin city I'm trying to think of what else I know. Death Proof. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Death Proof, of course. More recently, she is, of course, like you mentioned in The Mandalorian. She is... A girlfriend to a U.S. senator. Uh, ooh, okay. <laughs> in The Mandalorian. Good for her. <laughs> in The Mandalorian, yes. Um, well, I'm trying to remember. Oh, she, yeah, in um, the Marvel TV shows, like The Daredevil and The Luke Cage. Yeah, she's she's in, in all those. Absolutely. She's also in Clerks 2. Everybody mm-hmm. loves that movie, right? <laughs> Oh God! But yeah, I it is kind of crazy that you know, like you said, we're still talking about her to this day, um, and she is seems to not going to be going anywhere. Even though she's never really led anything, as far as I know, she's just popped up in pretty much everything. She's a character actress. Yeah, like, that yeah. is what she is at the end of the day. Like no more, no less. And then you have Tara Reid, who I I don't know. Like, after this is when she starts to become more and more of, like, what, a tabloid queen? Yes, absolutely. And then, like, she kind of just, like, the last major thing I remember Terry doing was, like, she was in that movie called Alone in the Dark where she played, like, a scientist. And it was, like, <laughs> and it was like the second most laughable thing since, like, Denise Richards was, like, what, Dr. Christmas Jones in the James Bond movie? Sure. Yeah, I don't where, even like, know about this movie, and it sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so it was just like, and I think after that, like the last thing I know about Tara Reid is like she was like one of those actresses that like everybody was kind of convinced she was like anorexic, because like you would like to see her just like rib cage, like, yes. like anytime she would like wear like any sort of like tight clothing, and and I really don't know what she's been up to. Like the last time I've ever heard her like heard her name referenced was like 
oh god this was like god six seven eight years ago it was like an episode of the soup where like one of the like executives for e was leaving and they had like a moment for him. they had him on the show and joel McHale's like this is the executive that greenlit terror dice <laughs> and <laughs> um and, and, and that was it like that's the last time i've ever heard her name referenced as in something like mainstream and we're talking that was like 2013 or 14 sure sure the, yeah the last time I had heard about her is uh, the Sharknado movies because I've, I've seen the oh, first okay. Sharknado, but apparently she's in all of them and playing the same character. So good for her. But she's in Sharknado, Sharknado 2 colon the second one, Sharknado 3 colon oh hell no, Sharknado colon the fourth awakens. You like that Star Wars reference, don't you, Zach? <laughs> Sharknado 5 colon global swarming and then the last Sharknado colon it's about time. I oh, hate those exist. Now I'm I interested hate. in in for Sharknado technically would be Sharknado 6. It's colon it's about time. Do you think that the the subtitle it's about time is referring to that it's about time we got to the last Sharknado or they are telling us as the audience that there is time travel in that movie. Like it's about time type of thing now i'm interested <laughs> I, I just don't every single one of those <laughs> I, I, you know what that makes me so mad is that like i'll talk to people about like good bad movies and i'll be referencing things like i don't know like silent night deadly night part two and films of that sort of ilk and i'll try telling people about that and be like oh like sharknado i'm just like no <laughs> like 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 you can't make intentional schlock I'm like that's just called like like trying to be like like stupid clever and falling on your face. Yes, it, it's yes. a cinematic equivalent of a whoopee cushion. It's like, it's like no, and I hate Sci-Fi Channel. Like I don't even know if Sci-Fi Channel does these sort of things anymore, but I hate that that was a thing that actually like prospered for a while, like in the oh, 2010s. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, breaking news. In, in Sharknado 6, the gang uses time travel in order to stop Sharknados from ever happening in history. God <laughs> because damn why not? Uh, also breaking news, uh, Tara Reid's character is April Wexler, and apparently in Sharknado 6, Gary Busey plays Wilfred Wexler. I don't know how they're related, but I might need to find the scene if there is one of Gary Busey and Tara Reid together. <laughs> that might be like, you know, the convergence of the moons and the world explodes <laughs> if, if, they, if they actually have a scene together. <laughs> uh, um, but like, no, go, on, go ahead. I was going to say, that's the last time I heard of Tara Reid. And I, whenever anybody t th talks about Tara Reid, I feel like they either know her in Van Wilder or The Big Lebowski. And the Big Lebowski is like one of her first roles ever, I think. Yeah. Um, where she's like a real person or a real performance type of thing. <laughs> but also, American Pie was another one of those ones that really yeah. kind of like put her on the map in that time period. Like, she really was a product of like the late '90s, early 2000s. Sure, sure, absolutely, absolutely. Because she was also one of the act like actors, actresses too, that like did not appear in American Wedding, the third American Pie film, because like. She thought she was too big for the film. Oh, okay. Interesting. Because, like, like, everybody forgets that, like, a lot of the actors from 1 and 2 did not show up in that third film. 
Uh, is that when it like started to become the straight to DVD nonsense? Not that the third one was no. straight to DVD, but didn't no. after the third one it started to do that? Well, afterwards though, but like again, like you lost like Chris Klein, mm-hmm. you lost a lot of those actors that just felt like they were they were above this. Okay, okay. Interesting. Yeah. I don't really I, I've only seen American Pie one and I think I've seen two. But yeah, we'll talk about Tara Reed again in this series. <laughs> Rob, you're telling me you haven't seen American Pie 6, The Book of Love? I can't say that I have. If I have seen it, I I have repressed it completely. <laughs> Excuse me. It's okay, Rob. It is American Pie. Oh, God, this is weird. I, I don't even know the continuity of this. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. There's there's more. I feel like Zach is going oh down a God. rabbit hole where he's going to read. He's like, this one's called American Pie colon. And then he's going to start talking in like an ancient language and a demon's going to be summoned. <laughs> if you had to guess how many American Pie movies do you think there are? Uh, I Nine. That is actually correct. Oh, OK. I wanted to go a little <laughs> more than Sharknado, which was six because American Pie has been around longer. <laughs> yeah. Like that. Is, like, like it's insane. Like genuinely insane that there's nine American bodies. Well, I know that I know there's one and two, and you just mentioned wedding, which I know of. I know there's reunion. There's, there, there's no. This is how this is the continuity of the American Pie <laughs> franchise. Okay. There's one, two, wedding, band camp, the Naked Mile, Beta House, the Book of Love, reunion, which is the one that brought back the original cast. Then you have Girls Rules. Oh, okay. <laughs> I feel like I've maybe heard of The Naked Mile before. And Bandcamp just makes perfect sense that they would name a movie that. <laughs> and funny enough, in Girls Rules, which came out last year, it does not feature Eugene Levy. Ooh. But it features Danny Trejo and Barry Bostwick. Danny Trejo as Machete? <laughs> we can only hope. We can only hope. Oh, good old man, good old Barry Bostwick. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, it's is Tara Reed in it? Is Tara uh, Reed? Okay, this. I was about to say this. I understand this is probably a bad thing to say. My follow-up question is, is Tara Reed still alive? Do we know this? <laughs> <laughs> that is horrible. Like, Sharknado ended a few years ago. <laughs> Tara Reed apparently is still working. Okay, well, good good for her. Uh, maybe she'll be in the Josie and the Pussycats reunion. She'll pop up on Riverdale, and the original Josie and the Pussycats will fight Mothman. <laughs> she actually had – she was involved with five projects in 2020. Okay, good. Good for her. I never would have guessed. Yeah, that's uh, – she apparently has 22 projects in development. Holy shit. Okay. Uh, wonderful for her then, I guess. <laughs> yeah, she's uh, – she, she's keeping busy. She's not a household name anymore, but she yeah. is keeping yeah. busy. Okay. Well, I definitely think this is my favorite Tara Reid performance. Uh, not that I've seen her in a lot of this stuff. She's good in The Big Lebowski, but I think that she doesn't have too much to do in that movie. Um, I, if, From what I remember, I think she's fine in American Pie, but I don't really remember that movie except the the main things. Um, Sharknado, like I said, that movie, I, I don't know if I actually said it, but I hated that the first one that I saw it, and that's just garbage nonsense. So this one is, Tara Reed's great in it, and I think that I, I love this performance, and Tara Reed will always have a special place in my heart, because usually, even when I was younger and watching this movie, I always hated when there were just characters that 
would just fall into one mold and play it constantly. Like if a character was just stupid constantly, I always hated that. Um, like I don't like Meg on Family Guy because the point of Meg is just to be the butt of jokes. Like that drives me crazy that there's no development or any depth to these types of characters. But for some reason, maybe it's with how kind of sparingly it's used or maybe not sparingly, but you know, the, the timing between the Tara Reed stupid jokes in this movie are, are spaced out. I love this performance. Like I, I love the way it's delivered. I love that, you know, she like kind of giggles after every line she delivers. Like I said in, uh, in one of my quotes was going to be, you know, if I could go back in time, I'd want to meet Snoopy. And that comes out of nowhere. It makes no sense. The movie plays it so sincerely because Josie after that is like, Mel, I love that about you. You think anything is possible. <laughs> <laughs> but I absolutely love Tara reading this movie. I love the coasters thing. I my One of my favorite scenes in cinematic history has got to be her in the shower with the McDonald's logo all over it and with, like, the French fry container loofah, and she keeps yep. dropping it because she's singing if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. It's it's absolutely wonderful. Uh, this is one of those things where it probably would have fit well in our series of Unexpected Love because I feel like anybody who listens to this podcast or knows my thoughts on movies and stuff, they'd be like, oh, Rob would hate that character, right? And I'd be like... No, baby. Give me, give me the McDonald's bathroom scene every day of the week. <laughs> like even at the end too, like like, this, like Parker Posey's like describing like what's gonna happen to Rosario Dawson and Tara Reid, and like they're like they pull back the curtain and it's like oh, we won a car, <laughs> yes. and, <I'm> like, <laughs> and it's like no, you didn't. And she goes to Rosario Dawson, Valerie, you won a car. <laughs> Quiet. Why don't you show these two lovely young ladies what we have for them this evening? Gladly, my darling. A car! Val, I won a car! No, you didn't win a car. Oh my god, you won a car! No, I won a car! <laughs> it's great. Like, and people have to realize, like, it takes a lot of talent to play like that. Oh God! Because being that dumb of a character, yes, you yeah. could like in the words of Robert Downey Jr. for Tropic Thunder, it takes a lot not to go full retard. Yep, absolutely. And and I think, like I said, you know, maybe it, it's definitely in the performance. Like I said, it maybe something of the timing of the jokes. Um, that there's always something. It's not rapid fire stupidity. It always comes out like even watching it for this recording for like the millionth time I've seen this movie. It still gets me every once in a while. Like, the movie knows how to play. Like, have it'll have a joke. Like, I think of the scene when Alan Cumming brings Josie and the Pussycats into, like, their recording studio. And as soon as that scene starts, Tara Reed runs over to the wall and, like, molests it and goes, The walls are so squishy, haha. And then nobody, like, cares about that. The scene continues. The actual plot is developing. And they get over to the, um, the Mega Sound 8000. And, you know, Alan Cumming describes how it works. They play something, and then they play it back with the Mega Sound 8000. And they're like, that was us? That sounds so... I want a Big Mac! And it's like, I never expect that to pop up for some reason. As much as I know this movie, the movie does well enough to make me forget that another stupid joke is about to pop out at me. And then, of course, Tara Reed's delivery is just like, I want a Big Mac. But Melody, you're a vegetarian. I know, but I really want one. <laughs> <laughs> And now, I'll play it back with the mega sound. And those three small words were way too late. 
Is that us? It sounds so... I want a Big Mac. What? Mel, you're a vegetarian. I know, but certainly I want one. Maybe on the way back to the hotel? Okay. Ah, uh, yeah, there's, like, that's the thing. Like, it takes a lot to sit there just, like, kind of, like, toe the line of that. It yeah, takes yeah. A, it takes a lot as an actress to sit there, not go too far with it one way or the other. And, like, even when she's, like, doing the whole thing about, like, you can be in multiple places at once. She's like, I could be in this room or this room. I and fucking love that. And that is and the this, thing is these jokes are bare bones dumb. Like that yes. joke is set up as the the manager being like, I can't be in two places at once, and she's like, Well, what if you could be? That would be so cool. Like I could be in the living room, and then she just starts running around the house or the trailer or whatever they're in, and I'm like, This is the dumbest thing, and I can't get enough of it. <laughs> yeah, and like I said, she's one. She's definitely the most entertaining character I would say in the entire film. Oh yeah, I have to. I have to say so. Yeah. Because, like, Rosario Dawson is kind of just moping through this movie. Yes. Like, she doesn't have a really a lot of, like, laugh-out-loud uh, laugh lines. Rachel Lee Cook is the – Josie is the protagonist, so she's kind of the straight man. And most of the comedy of the three of them, the vast majority, I would say, falls on Tara Reid's shoulders. Absolutely. I, I would say she's the most entertaining – and that's another thing I love about this movie is that it is it's packed with jokes and things that make me laugh. You have such a specific type of comedy, the dumb comedy, I guess we're calling it, that's like you said lands on Tara Reid's shoulders. But then you have this totally different style of comedy that's really put on Alan Cumming and Parker Posey when she finally shows up in the movie. Like I think Alan Cumming has the jokes that are actually, you know, maybe biting towards the commercialism because he's he's the record executive. He's the one that's really playing up the um the satirical or spoof aspect of record executives. But I I uh, one of the jokes I totally did not I don't think I fully got when I was younger that I totally appreciate now and we're probably going to get canceled for is when Alan Cumming is describing Josie and the Pussycats to Fiona. And he's like, think Christina Aguilera times three, except one of them is incredibly tan. Or TLC <laughs> with two white chicks. <laughs> yeah, I heard that, and I'm like, oh boy. I'm like, I'm like, in a way, I'm kind of glad this film doesn't exist on anyone's <laughs> radar, because this is one of those films that would get, like, one of those lines that would get it, like, banned forever. Oh, absolutely. But it, it's so, that is, I feel like that's, yes, it's, it's a racially charged joke. There's no way around that. But I don't think you hear anything like that today. Describing Rosario Dawson as incredibly tan, it's, I think the joke, like we said, while racially charged, is so poignant because as the record executive, he's all about selling these people, not the music, as, it may, as it's made clear in the movie. He's not selling the music, he's selling the people type of thing. And it's like, well, how do you describe it? It's like the joke these days of, you know, how do I write, I changed a light bulb on my resume? Like, how do you fancy that up? This is that version. It's like, how do you fancy up that it's two white people and then one black person? One of them is incredibly tan, you know? <laughs> exactly. I don't think it's meant to be, like, a racist joke. It's, like, it's that thing of, like, the, like you were saying. It's, like, it's the executive trying to sell it. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, okay, how do I do this? Like, how do I describe this to somebody? It comes down to that same sort of principle as we've learned from the Jimmy C thing of like, how do you get Titanic made? Point to the Titanic and say Romeo and Juliet on that. Yep. How do you say – again, that's – like I said, and I think that the joke is not to make fun of someone's race. The joke is to make fun of 
how Hollywood and just the entertainment industry just boils everything down. Absolutely, because I'm I'm thinking of like this same exact joke if you took it and put it into a more modern like I'm thinking of like the the bad examples of like racially charged jokes like take for example like an Adam Sandler goofball comedy where it wouldn't have anything to do with the record business or whatever like Josie and the Pussycats would show up and I'm just imagining they're meeting Adam Sandler for the first time and he would be like oh you didn't tell me that one of them was incredibly tan and it's like that would be the joke is that they're just saying their race in a strange way without any of the layers that actually make it interesting about the record executive stuff and that's why it works so well in this movie oh definitely like that's again and that's where the biting like satire comes from yes i have to say though because that before or like right when parker posey cuts him off and he's like i understand she says like like uh wyatt i understand what you're saying you don't need to give me all these analogies um but he says christina aguilera times three except one of them is incredibly tan or tlc with two white chicks and the last thing he says is or whole and to this day i still don't understand why you tack on whole to this joke because at the time this movie was made whole is only two people it's courtney love and a dude and even before oh. that, it was three women and a dude. And so I still I, – that's one of the jokes I just fundamentally do not understand in this movie. And I'm just like uh, – I mean I, I just don't get it. I don't understand why Hole is tacked on there. <laughs> and, and trust us, folks. If Rob doesn't get a music industry joke, none of us have any <laughs> chance of getting it. But but that joke is fantastic. And and I like I said, I think that you know Alan Cumming gets the, the really kind of poignant jokes in this movie – like I absolutely love his uh, his method of discipline at the start with Dujour when when what Breckenmeyer and Donald Faison are arguing about something on their plane and he like gets in between them and his method of discipline is going to them and go eye contact hand and then literally slapping them on the wrist. It's, it's it's fantastic. And like we said in our Spy Kids episode, I love Alan Cumming. I, we want to see more of him, and I absolutely love this performance. This is probably my favorite performance of his ever. And then the whole reveal at the end where he's like, it's me, Wally, white-ass Wally, and he's revealed that he's an albino. <laughs> albino. Just comes out of fucking nowhere, but it's fantastic. <laughs> I On the topic of Alan Cumming, I have not yet found a copy of the movie he directed with Jennifer Jason Lee, the, the the anniversary party. But Zach, I did find the movie where he plays Hitler and Braveheart, Jack Boots on Whitehall. Oh, you did? I haven't watched it yet, but something that we didn't mention in our Spy Kids episode, which I didn't know because we didn't look into it, that is a stop-motion animation movie in the vein of The Shivering Truth. Like, it looks like the same animation. Oh, okay. And so I'm very interested to see it because, as we said... Alan Cumming voices Hitler and Braveheart in that movie. <laughs> All right, then. So we'll, we'll do that. We'll get to our Alan Cumming series eventually uh, in, uh, I think, what? We have the fourth year for six more years, and then I think I picked two series, and then we'll get to it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Alan Cumming is great. Parker Posey is fantastic. With well, think about – okay, one thing I want to bring about Parker Posey is I think she's acting in a – like she's a little too dialed up. Like, I, I don't know if thing. I would say uh, dialed up. I agree with little too dialed up. No, I think she's dialed up to the perfect amount. <laughs> like, I don't know. It just feels like she's hamming it up a little too much because like whether it be like when she's having like the girls moment, and like what she calls it, her girls room or when she starts to like attack Josie, like in the third act. Yeah. She just feels a little too over the top. Like, like, like this film is like we're like you have Speed Racer. 
and Speed Racer is meant to be like a hyper realized version of like an anime. Mm-hmm. This, like, for the most part, is pretty grounded. Like, like the performances. It's just more the set dressing is the only thing that's really dial like really like supposed to be like hyper realized. But Parker Posey, I to, for me feels like she's acting in a different movie. I, I see what you're saying, and everybody I think... else is much more subdued. Like if you juxtapose her performance sure. to Alan Cummings, it feels much more cartoony. Oh, oh, absolutely, and and um, you know, I think there are some scenes where I I totally get what you're saying. Some of the scenes make sense with what we learn at the end of the movie that she was this like bullied girl and she is in this position of power and wants to you know use that to make herself have friends and and even as it's revealed the big you know message that subliminal message she's trying to put out is that everybody like wants to be like her or date her or be friends with her and stuff like that there's a lot of the overtop stuff that works towards that aspect but i will agree with you in the sense that there's a lot of cartoonish stuff that doesn't really get at that specifically with the way she moves in this movie it's mm-hmm. so exaggerated. When I was watching it for this recording, my note was it's like she's in a ballet. Like when you watch ballets, like the movement is very exaggerated, but there's a level of finesse to it and grace. It's like that without the finesse and grace. Like the way she moves is so exaggerated and clunky, but I absolutely love it for some reason. And even what they what they dress her in, like there's that scene where she's revealing the plan to like the government people and she has this choker on, or as, as we yep. like to call it here, the uh, with the neck koozie. Um, the neck koozie. It it's, it's, has all these fucking like stiff wires coming out of it. And at the end of all the wires is a feather. And it's just constant, like she looks like a pin cushion basically. <laughs> But it comes out of her neck. It it is so crazy over the top. But I, for some reason, I absolutely love it. <laughs> That's the thing, though. I can't tell because, like, an outfit like that, like, this film has a bunch of really weird, like, costume, like, choices. Oh, yeah. And I can't tell how much of it is meant to be, like, exaggerated because, like, it's supposed to be a, like, a cartoon adaptation or if it's just, like, early 2000s fashion and wardrobes. Like, like that's the thing. Is it like where, like, where you have the neck cozy with all the stuff coming out of it is clearly an intentional choice. Parker Posey's like choices, like with the character, just feel like nobody was kind of watching her because she seems a little too <laughs> far out there compared to everybody else. Oh, sure. No, yeah, you're you're definitely right. I I definitely think that's the case. Yeah. Like I said, no. Like, like she, like again, she's fine, but it just feels a little too like every scene that she's in, she's a little too mustache twirling. Like, sure. like, and that's where, like, not that it takes you out of the movie, it's just slightly jarred with everything else. And the problem with this film, even though I think on a thematic level it's brilliant, I think this is one of those films that, like, there's a reason why this film never connected with an audience, even with a niche audience. And mm-hmm. I think that's just one component or one element amongst many. Okay, okay. Yeah, I, you know, I, I totally see what you're saying. Um, like the the movement, like I said, I'll, even the stuff that I was mentioning that plays with what we learned about her at the end of the movie. I love when they get to the party for Josie and the Pussycats, and Fiona has Parker Posey's Fiona has this huge entrance where she like has a musical number. She's getting carried like by these dudes, and then she pops up and she says to Josie and the Pussycats, "I'm Fiona. Welcome to your party." After she made this huge entrance. <laughs> Um, the, the whole thing where she like has a one Pringle and she's about to eat it and she's like, oh, I'm such a pig and stuff like that all over the top, all extremely like grandiose. And I am so on board for it. 
I'm probably on board for it because it's so unique in this movie. But I totally get where you're coming from, that it is. it could be jarring and it could definitely turn some people off. <laughs> That's the thing, because like, it feels like part of this character is probably cut out of the film. Okay. Because like, we don't really see her until, what, the latter half of the film? And, like, even we have that moment where, like, the three of them are in her room and, like, she's, like, rubbing Josie's back and she's like, Josie, let's guess how much you weigh. And Josie's, like, gives her a number. And Fiona's like, yeah, I'm that minus three, so I'm, like, I'm skinnier than you. And, like, the other two are just like, let's get out of here. And that's the thing, like, and we find out that, like, her grand diabolical scheme was to have people just like her as an individual. Yes. Whereas yes. there's really no other point in the film where that, like, that's a thing. That's the odd thing. This film, like, it has a rather simple message, but at the same time, though, it's like, 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 there is a bunch of messages. Yes. It's like, like, at the end, like, it tries to have its moment where it's like, oh, like we said with Josie, she's like, just like it because you like it. Like, you want to like it, mm-hmm. not like it because anybody's forcing you to. But then you have, like, all these things about, like, betraying your friends and, like, friendship and staying true to yourself. And it's like, what? Like, what's the point of this? Like, what's the moral of the story? And then, like, even at the end, like, they have, like, this little montage where, like, it's clearly, like, they've inserted bloopers into the film. Yes. And I'm yes. just like, like, I, 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 this is, like, a really good feel-good moment. Like, you, like, again, I would imagine if you walked out of the theater in, like, April 2001, you would have felt good about yourself. But it would have been, like, almost like, oh, God. Like, I know I've talked about, like, cotton candy cinema. Mm-hmm. We're like, oh, like it tastes good, but like it's gonna like give you like all oh, this is sugar, like it's not as bad as that. But at the same time, though, this feels like the cinematic equivalent of like a glass of chocolate milk. <laughs> is it like it like it's like there is that healthy aspect of it, quote unquote, in that there's some calcium involved. Sure, but at the end of the day, it's by no means a nutrition a nutritional like oh yeah thing to consume. Yeah, yeah. Like I said earlier, it's very easy to watch. Um, and you know what they say: Josie and the Pussycats is the new chocolate milk. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I mean. Because like I just like like at the end of this, I'm just like what. I'm like, but like, you have like this biting satire, com- like combined with like this wholesomeness, and then like this weird like just thing at the end where like you have like the pop song playing, mm-hmm. and they're all like reunited. Josie gets the dude, and it's like, oh, 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 okay, and like I just don't know what to make of it. It's just like it's has a lot of conflicting messages at the end, and I think subconsciously to like like oh god a Saturday matinee audience, that's is one of just many elements, probably the ultimate detriment to the film is that there is really no like perfect punch that lands. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And I, like you, you mentioned earlier, the splitting up of different, you know, characters and properties within this thing. Um, I, I feel like if, well, this is something I don't know at the time, you know, it's like, were people going to this and expecting to see more of like an Archie and Jughead or something like that? Or were they just familiar with Josie and the Pussycats? I don't know, but it seems like, you know, if, like you said, it focuses on this one thing of Josie and the Pussycats, but then it kind of has many different themes and, and, you know, plot lines that it's trying to wrap up at the end for sure. Yeah, I think that's the thing is that like they're really like unless you're just really you want like a fun time at the movies that's really really lighthearted. I think most people just would have just blown. It. And I think the like the critical review and that's where like 
even though I, I think the critics kind of lost track of everything mm-hmm. and they were probably a little too, they probably, a lot of the critics I imagine went in cause like, Oh God, a Josie and the pussycats movie. Ugh. It's like, yeah. it's like kind of like what gem in the holograms was like a few years ago ah, where yeah. it's like, it's like, Oh God. And so you go, you walk in with a chip on your shoulder and then like you watch it and it's like, you already have some animosity against the film so you're not going to give it the benefit of the doubt so like and i think that's what it is i think this film like it is probably a perfect spiritual predecessor to speed racer Mm -hmm. in that it's trying to do so many things it kind of just loses track of why it even exists sure sure yeah i could i i see what you're saying um, and yeah, maybe that, that critical thing is, is the thing I was explaining earlier also that's, you know, compounded or continued through the years of, for some reason, there's some preconceived notion that you have when you hear Josie and the Pussycats and why people don't want to watch it or something like that. I, and, you know, I don't know. I don't think it's just the name. Uh, I, I'm sure there is that cultural osmosis aspect because the, 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 I'm thinking of people that I know that would just not want to watch this movie. The same people who are like, I'm not going to watch Babe 2. You know, but they'll watch some new HBO show that's not going to last more than a season because it's just pumped out, you know, nonsense. But they have no preconceived notions about it type of thing. Yeah. Which sucks. Absolutely. Because I would like to think I have decent friends who if I recommend something, (laughs) they would think it has some merit to it, which baffles me because it's like, oh, no, it's like Rob has thoughts on movies and I know Rob's thoughts on movies, music and media, whatever. And then for some reason, when I recommend Babe 2, Pig in the City, they forget about all of that. And it's like I'm just a homeless man asking for change they want so little to do with me. I don't know. It baffles me. It's a very strange thing. (laughs) Oh, God. That's great. Oh, my God. That's great. I love it. That that was was a very profound analogy, Rob. Well, Uh, That's how I feel. (laughs) I feel like a homeless man asking for change. Oh, God. But, I mean, so – uh, the, I, I want to. We have to talk about more of like we, the the product placement in this movie. Sure. I, I think while we're on the topic of the jokes that I was getting at, there are definitely two jokes that I don't think aged well, or the two two that stood out to me. I'm sure there's more that I'm not thinking of because uh, I'm not as woke as as some people. One of them, which is not really bad at this point, it just it didn't age well for reasons that I think everyone will understand. The uh, Heath Ledger is the new Matt Damon. <laughs> Love it. I oh yeah, that. that's a fantastic. I joke. laughed at that, and it's also followed up by what afterwards when they have the revelation that there's subliminal messages, and Josie's like, they're selling, they're selling products, with, they're selling food with our music, they're selling clothes with our music, they're selling us with our music, which is very funny. What the um their manager is like, I gotta go get a get like a Big Mac, and a Heath Ledger, <laughs> and then he just like <laughs> runs out of the frame. <laughs> are the best band ever. They are totally jerkin'. You must buy their CD. You have to see them in concert. You also have to buy Steve Madden's shoes. Heath Ledger is the new Matt Damon. You're nobody without an Abercrombie and Fitch vintage tee. They're selling stuff through our music. Josie and the Pussycats are the best band ever. They're selling us through our music. I knew there was a reason you were so popular. I want a vintage tea and Heath Ledger. Oh, my God. But, I, I mean, I think this is something people 
don't remember is like Heath Ledger was definitely on the up and up back in the early two thousands, right? Well, yeah, because like he like again, yeah, he was becoming a big thing after Ten Things I Hate About You. Yeah, like, kind of like, yeah. like the big breakthrough. And like he did like a bunch of just like oh god, studio nonsense. Like what was it, A Knight's Tale stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, Brokeback and then he, Mountain. Yeah. Well, that was a few years later. That was like sure, two thousand five. Sure. And like, oh god, Rob remembers this. Like in my weird crusade in high school, where like I like for a good what like eight months I died on this hill. Um, like Heath Ledger was like before the Dark Knight, or before he killed himself, he basically was like known as the gay cowboy. Like yes. not that he was like in Hollywood, like in entertainment circles, he was taken seriously, but like he was kind of I don't want to say a joke, but he wasn't taken seriously by mass audiences. He was a niche actor. And then, like, he, like, there was rumors going, I remember, like, when he got cast as the Joker, the big thing was, like, what? It was very similar to Michael Keaton as Batman back Mm -hmm. in, like, the late 80s. -hmm. And then, like, nobody really knew because the marketing for The Dark Knight was just, like, the why so serious and, like, the the laugh. So people didn't really, like, while he was still alive, nobody knew, like, what it was going to look like. Then he kills himself in January 2008. And then Warner Brothers pretty much sold his performance for the next eight months in the like in the next seven, eight months as this is the film that like brought him to the like brought him to suicide. And it created this weird sort of just like cultural tsunami for not just the film, but the character like his like iteration of the character. Sure. And like and never forget. Everybody forgets this in the story of Heath Ledger is that he committed suicide in Mary Kay Olsen's apartment. I'm glad you bring that up because I was going to say. As you as you said now, I th- I think a few times that he killed himself. Don't we aren't the conspiratorial aspect of cinematis? Don't we think that the Olsons killed him? <laughs> well, well, it's a combination of two things. Like we talked about like, Hole before too, and and don't we also take the stance that Courtney Love killed Kurt Cobain? <laughs> well, you you heard the joke in this about Kurt Cobain, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> that was a fantastic joke. Oh god, but like no, like it's funny, like it. it oh god. Because like we all know that the Olsen twins are reptile people. Yes. Like that was that was their foot, first major foothold into like indoctrinating the children of America. But like that is like the best case scenario for Heath Ledger like dying. The worst case scenario is that he was depressed that Michelle Williams broke up with him. Mm-hmm. That was the reason why. It's, it's up to the audience to decide which version they decide. It's like a uh, pick your own like adventure chapter book. Decide for yourself. You, yeah, it's like exactly. Josie and the Pussycats tell us. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Decide for yourself. Why did Heath Ledger die? Because Michelle Williams broke up with him, or because Mary Kate is a reptile person? Yes, I. Yeah, good good message for this. De- decide for yourself for these conspiracies. Uh, just know that if you decide incorrectly, you might get killed. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! To this day, one of my favorite uh, Hollywood facts. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, so so the Heath Ledger is the new Matt Damon joke. Dad, of course, you know, maybe not so. It didn't age well. It's just that's a very different joke now. Or I guess after 2008 than it was uh, But, like, that's such a niche joke. Like, how many people laughed in the movie theater like, oh, in sure, 2001? Oh, sure, sure, yep. Like, 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 think about it. This is a PG-13 movie about Josie and the Pussycats marketed to teenage girls. How many teenage girls are laughing at that? Absolutely. Absolutely. How, many, how many moms and dads that were dragged to this? laughed at that yeah that's a good point (laughs) unless you're somebody really really like with your fingers in the pie 
of like show business in the early 2000s, which I'm pretty sure you couldn't fill a phone booth with at the yeah. time. <laughs> Who is that joke for? Like, like that's the thing. I think the right, like the like the writer directors of this made this film for themselves, mm-hmm. and I and, and they made it for people that became like entertainment Hollywood like news junkies. Sure, sure, I could see that. And I think that's why this film has had such a hard time of like enduring or finding an audience. Is that like? Oh God! Like the coldest niche is probably kind. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, no, no. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. Yeah, who would who would laugh at that joke in the early 2000s? Like even like even the thing of like Aerie Spears being credited as the other Carson Daly. Yes, yes, that, that is hysterical. But like even in 2001, like that's what like like I why went like we first started discussing this. It was even if this film came out now. Like, I don't know who this movie would be for. Like, 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 what would be the target audience? Exactly. Yeah. It, it seems to be so, like you said, niche is probably kind. Um, it seems to be a weird shaped peg that fits into none of the holes. <laughs> and that's what I mean. It, it's designed for a very, very selected group of people. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, yet, it, and yet somehow it got like an eight figure budget. <laughs> and that is also why it is such a great double feature with next week's Freddy Got Fingered. <laughs> but this is the thing I wonder is like we're st- like when this film probably was written in Greenlight, it was in a post scream world where everything was meta. Sure. And I wonder if that had anything to do with it. Mm. I just wonder if they kind of took that like at the time, like meta wasn't really a thing in the late nineties, like in the same sort of like way that like like Deadpool has kind of like driven it into the ground. Yes. As like as like a concept in like entertainment. But like I wonder if it's just kind of like a weird twist on like what Scream did where like Scream like took the tropes of the horror genre and like kind of like turned them on themselves. This just took like the entertainment industry and mm-hmm. turned it on itself. But the problem is that like where you like when Scream came out, you had people watching those types of movies for like 20 years. Yeah. So the audience was in on the joke. The problem with this is is that it was a film that was written by entertainment people making fun of the entertainment industry and the issue is that the audience is not part of the industry yeah so and so like it's almost impossible for it to connect with that absolutely yep but continue continue what you so were getting at. so uh b- before i get to the other joke which you did set up well I, d- I think another example of a movie that i like that people will never give a shot is Brokeback Mountain because every time I bring up Brokeback Mountain, which is a movie I do like, I will admit I, that's a hey, that's Ang Lee too. Uh, we uh, everybody has this preconceived notion about it, and they're like, "That's a movie about like gay cowboys," and I'm sure there's a good bit of people out there that even think that movie is like softcore gay porn. And it's like, no, that movie's about Ang Lee spending $10 million on CGI sheep. Like, that's the start of Ang Lee <laughs> losing his mind. Like, that, that's why that movie's fundamentally interesting. But once again, you know, like I said, I bring up these things and people want nothing to do with me. But you set it up perfectly, Zach. Aries Spears pops up in this movie, who I know from good old Mad classic TV. Mad TV. Who, and I was actually going down this rabbit hole to try and find a clip 
for one of our Patreon episodes that I couldn't find the clip of online, and short of, like, actually watching a shitload of Mad TV, I have not been able to find it. But Aerie Spears and Deborah Wilson would very frequently parody Bobby Brown and Whitney Houston. And there is a few clips, not the one I wanted, but there are a few clips on YouTube of them doing this, and I forgot, like, how hard they went into Bobby Brown and Whitney Houston on Mad TV, because there's a sketch that they do, which is them on Cribs, and basically their house is a mess, and, you know, they're, they're like, smoking crack and stuff during the filming, and there's a part in the sketch where... I think Aerie Spears goes to like, he's like, this is my child's bedroom. And he looks around. And he's like, wait, wait, where's our kid? Where's our kid? Uh, what's her name? Where's our kid? Whitney, where'd our kid go? And Whitney Houston, or as Deborah Wilson, as Whitney Houston comes up and goes, oh, don't you remember, Bobby? We smoked her last week. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, wow, this is, this is rough, you know? But, but Aerie Spears, those, a lot of those sketches are old Mad TV sketches are great, of course, of, of that, you know, same time as this, basically. But Aerie Spears shows up and does a Bill Cosby impression. Mm. And in the early 2000s, mm. the joke was, wouldn't it be crazy if Bill Cosby was going to kill a woman? <laughs> no. Talk about a joke that didn't age well. <laughs> I, I had totally, well, not totally forgotten about it, but that's not a joke that has ever really stood out to me in this movie. I always kind of thought of it as, oh, it's Aries Spears. He does impressions and, you know, he does multiple in this movie and Bill Cosby just happens to be one of them. And I'm sure he did it on Mad TV as well. But now I watch that and it's like, yeah, that would not fly <laughs> anymore. <laughs> well, that was the thing that like, even if you go back to like SNL and like Keenan Thompson doing Bill Cosby. Yep. It was like, like Cosby was a very easy like character to like impersonate. Oh sure. And now like we we've essentially just oh good lord, we've exterminated any trace of Bill Cosby from like the entertainment like industry and history. Yep. Yep. And outside of his crimes, and it's like okay, like you can't touch that. It's like it's like a Chernobyl of yes. like entertainment references where it's like you can go near it if you want. But you will get radiation poison and die. <laughs> yes, that's a great way to put it. And I, I, for some reason, I remember, like, very vividly, before the whole Bill Cosby story, like, actually came out and everything was revealed, there was a, a, a season of Celebrity Apprentice where Keisha Knight Pullman was on it. And she's the one who played Rudy on The Cosby Show. And I think she's in, like, if anybody does a Bill Cosby impression, it's always what you got, you know, the pudding and him saying Rudy, you know, that type of thing. And I remember in on, like, some team challenge in Celebrity Apprentice, they're trying to look for donors. And, like, everybody on Keisha Knight Pullman's team is like, oh, you should contact Bill. Like, you know Bill Cosby. Like, that's great. Like, people will come see him. Like, can he do an appearance? And the whole time, her whole team is, like, asking her to contact Bill Cosby. She is clearly shutting down. Like, she is like, no, I don't want to call him. I don't want to talk to him. And this was before that all broke. And I remember watching that, not thinking Bill Cosby was a monster, because I really have no, like, I never watched The Cosby Show. I only know Bill Cosby through cultural osmosis. It is so clear that something was wrong there. And then that story breaks, and it's like, oh, everything makes perfect sense now. <laughs> that is horrible. It is. Highly, it was so – I remember watching that amusing. with my parents, and I was just like, something really bad is going on here. Like, she is clearly, like, textbook, like, abuse victim in, in those mm. scenes in Celebrity Apprentice. I'm sure that that exists somewhere on the internet. You know, people are like, look at this. We should have seen the signs. And it's like – 
seeing the signs for something like that is always a rough thing to say because isn't the Bill Cosby case a story that basically everybody knew it was going on and nobody said anything for years? So it's not that's like we every, should have seen the signs. Yeah, yeah. That's everything in Hollywood, whether yes. it be like Harvey Weinstein, exactly. Kevin Spacey. Like, like it was there. Like everybody knew. It was like one of those things, like the worst kept secret. Yeah, yeah. So I've always found it weird where it's like you don't, you shouldn't be saying, "Oh, we should have seen the signs." We should be saying, "Why are we collectively the worst thing to ever happen?" <laughs> but uh, speaking of of Bill Cosby, did you ever see that clip of when he was leaving, like a courtroom, one of his court appearances? He's leaving, and there's like a wall of press, and they're all like trying to get to him, but like security guards and his lawyers are like pushing through. And you can hear someone say something like, like everybody's like, Mr. Cosby, blah, 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 blah. What do you have to say? What do you have to say? And over the raucousness of the press, like, junket, and he's walking away, Bill Cosby goes, hey, hey, hey. (laughs) (laughs) Did you ever? Oh, my God. I laughed my ass off. (laughs) I will find that clip. But it is the funny. Bill Cosby just looking, like, totally disheveled and torn down because I think it's, like, clear that he's either going to jail. It might be, like, sentencing or something. Like, so the the book is thrown at Bill Cosby, and he just screams, hey, hey, hey. (laughs) It's fucking great. (laughs) Oh, God. And also, speaking of Celebrity Apprentice, everybody see if you can find <laughs> oh, online. Jesus. It's a different season. I thought it was the same season, but there's a season of Celebrity Apprentice where Meatloaf thinks Gary Busey stole his paint. And he screams at Gary Busey for like three solid minutes. So everybody go up. This is going to be like the clip tangent part of the episode where I see if I can find all these things. Okay! What's wrong? Mother! What's wrong? I bought those mother sponges. Part of that paint is mine. I'm sick and tired of you, mother! No, hey. no, 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 no. That was all no, mine no. in my basket. No. Bull mother You know, I have to Hold on, guys. Hold on. Hold on. You don't want to make you get it. You don't want to start with me. Me, don't do it. Don't do it. Mother You do not want to with me. You look in my eyes. I am the last person in the world you ever want to with. You understand me? You motherfucker, you look at me all the time. You'll be in the hospital in about four minutes. Me, 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 me. Look, take him out of here. Take him out of here. Come on, Gary. This is mine. Come on, Gary. It is not yours, you priest. Don't engage it. Don't engage. Calm down. Don't engage. Cool. Let's just get your stuff. You're fine. You're good, brother. You're good. What's yours, me? What's yours? It's all right, me. It's all right, dude. Oh, my God. The task went away. This became serious. I have to stop Meatloaf from ripping Gary Busey's head off. Literally. I bought sponges. I bought a spray paint. I have my We can also bag. go right back down there and grab some more stuff. But you just don't assume. And you ask. Meet, meet, meet. Look, is this your bag? I might have just Wait, found let's, your let's bag. Just, let's just saddle. It was under a corner. You pushed me too far. Does this look like it? Thank you. It was under a corner. 
Christmas. Take your spray paint. Thank you very much. Shut the up! No, I can't. Do your cardboard and get out of my face! I'm not in your face. Oh, God. But yeah, Bill Cosby joke does not fly today. <laughs> no, no. Those were the two that popped out at me of jokes where I was like, those didn't really age well type of thing uh, for different reasons. But it was good to see Aries Spears because I don't think he does anything these days, uh, at least anything I'm familiar with. So, uh, But still, funny, funny movie, Josie and the Pussycats. So <laughs> we got to talk about the product placement. I Like I mentioned, the McDonald's bathroom, that is that is absolutely fantastic. I love that there's like the french fry container loofah and it looks like a burger loofah and then when Terry Reed gets out of the shower there's just like a, a plush Ronald McDonald sitting next to the toilet or something like that it's fantastic I think my favorite product placement joke is when Josie and Alan go to the uh, aquarium and when they try and get away from the crowds that are chasing them they go to like the uh, the lower half of like the the whale exhibit or something and in the actual aquarium, yep, like under yep. the water, there is an Evian ad. And that is so goddamn good. <laughs> I think the version of that today, if somebody was making this movie, would make it just straight up Nestle. But Evian is just as good. And who, I don't know, Evian might be owned by Nestle. I have no fucking clue. <laughs> Doesn't Nestle own, Nestle's one of like the big four that owns like a quarter of the world or something like that? It, it, it's one of those like, like oh God camouflage conglomerates yeah yeah but i every it gets me every time that there's a an ad for evian water in an aquarium oh yeah actually no there's there's a lot of like oh god very very subtle product placement in this like like don't know there's a lot of like heavy-handed stuff like the target like the target hotel room you have like what the target airplane yeah yeah um oh yeah i love the uh the second airplane which that josie and the pussycats are on which is the motorola airplane and Mm. i love that there are motorola cell motorola cell phones on the walls of the plane hung up like exhibits in an art museum Alan Cumming drives a Ray-Ban car in this movie. <laughs> yeah, that that was one of those things I thought was funny. Like, there's the Ray-Ban like decals around the windshield. I <laughs> yes. found that like just like what is going on? Oh yeah, the the CGI shot that we get of Times Square at a certain point, they cram in so many advertisements that it's almost impressive. Like every square inch of the screen has an advertisement on it. It's wonderfully terrible and hilarious at the same time. <laughs> well, Rob, speaking of advertisements on buildings and the cornerstone of the fort year, <laughs> did you see the establishing shot of New York City? I definitely picked up on some towers here. <laughs> there are some towers that were clearly had some product placement on them. And I don't want to say anything for certain, but if you were a certain terrorist in 2001 and you were watching this and you saw the target bullseye on a certain tower, one could make the assertion that maybe this film was partly responsible for 9-11. I, uh, I'm, I'm with you there. I'm with you there. It shouldn't be. Maybe the terrorists took the wrong message from this movie, as a lot of people seem to. Uh, but it's it's there. It's there. Speaking of that, also, at the end of the uh, the Simpsons episode we were mentioning, 
when when Lieutenant LT Smash goes crazy because his project gets shut down, he takes the the boat or the aircraft carrier they're on and goes to New York, and they blow up a mad like a mad magazine building. Yeah. So they don't they blow up a tower. They don't blow up the towers. Uh, but it is in the <laughs> Simpsons episode as well. And there is a really funny joke where it like there's a it cuts to the inside of the mad magazine building and there's like a bunch of people in like a writer's room and one of them says well like the first part of the joke is one of them says what if we called it everybody hates raymond and they all like chuckle and another person in the room goes well we stayed up all night but it was worth it and then later (laughs) when the building actually gets blown up it cuts to like the rubble and all those writers stand up and one of them's like is everyone okay and a few of them say yes and then one of the writers goes i actually feel better So yeah, this, this, nobody knew what was gonna happen except George W. Bush, another conspiracy corner. Nobody knew what was gonna happen in September of 2001. So people were just putting targets on buildings, blowing up towers and media left and right. It was a crazy time, Zach. You could get on an airplane with anything you fucking wanted to. (laughs) Wow. Wow. That was the good old days. Um, But I'm not sure if you know this, Rob, but like if you play the Josie and the Pussycat song, three small words background uh, backwards, you can actually hear very subtly. If you pay close attention, (laughs) jet fuel can't melt steel beams. (laughs) We're not going to have any movies in the fort year that have Marion Cotillard in them, are we? (laughs) That might be a bonus episode. We just edit a bunch of our 9-11 talk, send it to Marion Cotillard and be like, would you like to be on for like half an hour? We'll have her on for like the final episode. Like when we finally do, well, what's the final episode in the fourth year? Is it Jeepers Creepers? I think so. Yeah. I would imagine she'd have a lot to say about that. <laughs> Will does everybody know that like when she's in Assassin's Creed, like that is all candid footage. Like she didn't get a script. They just put her there. And she starts talking about <laughs> going back in time. Oh God, that's funny. That's funny. Oh Jesus! I'm pretty sure Christopher Nolan didn't even tell her anything. I like, just one day she stumbled like into his office and saw like about Talia Al Ghul, and she's like, "Christopher, I didn't know you were making a film about me." And he's just like, "Okay, <laughs> okay." <laughs> yeah, that, with it. the uh, her her being incepted with the idea that she's in a dream is is her real life where she's trying to wake up to a world where the towers didn't fall. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, Marion Cotillard. Everybody just Google Marion Cotillard and can store <laughs> conspiracy and you will go down a fantastic rabbit hole. It really, it really is insane, yes. Um, so, yeah, the, great. The, that product placement is fantastic. I love the airplanes, like we were saying before, the, the, the boxes of, like, bounce on the walls and stuff like that. I, lo- I love it. Like I said, I love all of it except for the Gatorade is the new Snapple line. That's the only one that should be switched because I like Snapple better than Gatorade. But I get that that's a... Uh, that's a personal opinion. But I mean, it's all over the place. And, and oh, to, to get at what you said, yes, there's a lot of very, very heavy-handed um, pro- uh, this product placement idea we've been talking about. But you're right. Some of it is subtle. Like, I love that there's, like, a few bits where it's not really the focus, but I think there's, like, a f- one or two shots where just Rosario Dawson is in a scene and she's petting the stuffed target dog. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not really the focus or anything. It's just thrown in there, and that stuff's fantastic. And I also kind of love the fact that, you know, the whole entertainment industry is kind of in on it. You know, with our with our music industry, um, they go to the fake TRL set and, and you know, Carson Daly and the other Carson Daly are in on it as well and stuff like that. Oh, it's it's just fantastic. 
Oh yeah, even the fact that like the MTV News like anchor is in on it. Yes, that behind the music is like the way that they cover up <laughs> conspiracies. <laughs> Captain and Tennille, I love that. Yes, like we we even made an entire show about it. <laughs> uh, like I just say, like there's a, there's a lot of stuff in here, but this feels like a film that's biting off more than it can chew. Sure. And it loses, it loses its thesis along the way. And like, but like it kind of blinks in and blinks out because like for every moment you'll have some sort of like, Oh God, like, Oh, like cultural brilliance on like the entertainment and media industries. It loses sight of that. And we'll go like into like Josie and like the cardboard cutout, like boyfriend character. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, Oh God, this is just there because they feel they have to have that in there. Yeah. That, that whole, like the romance aspect, it definitely feels like it's there because it, they think it needs to be, which I totally get for this time, you know, but I, I have to say the one joke with Alan M that really works for me. I don't even know if it's like a super intentional joke, but I love it when Josie doesn't go to his show or his gig and he's like trying to call her on the phone or the payphone at wherever he's playing. And it's that split screen. But then it just like Josie disappears when he hangs up the phone and the camera just pulls out to show that he's playing while sitting on a stool that is directly next to the payphone and the bathrooms of this place. And as it continues to pan out, we see like elderly people in this, like this pub type place. And for some reason that always gets me that he's in like this somewhat slightly classy German pub. It seems like, and he's playing with his acoustic guitar and his like, you know, his, his harmonica set up to his mouth. I don't know. For some reason that always gets me that, you know, he's just playing right next to the bathroom and the payphone. <laughs> Yeah, and you have like what Alexandra there, and she's sitting there just like like uh, oh god, she has a sign. She's I'm with the band. Yeah, yep. yep. Yeah, Missy Pyle is in this movie. Um, she plays Alexandra Cabot, who, as she says in this film, she's here because she was in the comic. I always found that crazy that that's her name in this movie, and the uh, a very long running uh, assistant DA on Law and Order's VU is also named Alexandra Cabot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how about that? Yeah, so I always I always think of that. Um, but, I mean, Missy Pyle is another one that kind of disappeared, much like a Rachel Lay Cook, right? I mean, what, mm -hmm. Tim Burton picks her up for, what, she's in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and maybe one other one? Mm -hmm. I don't think I've seen Missy Pyle since the mid-2000s. Yeah, she was definitely a staple of that time period. Yeah, I don't even know. I don't even think I could name anything else she's ever been in other than Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And this, and got, she's in Goth Fitness, the uh, Adult Swim infomercial. <laughs> okay. Oh, I guess okay. She's in Gone Girl. She's a very small part in Gone Girl that I totally. Oh, she's Nancy. About. She's Nancy Grace. Yeah, yeah she plays yeah. Nancy Grace in, yep. in Goo Gone. Yep. Okay. So that I think that's the last thing I saw her in. So okay, perfect. Good. She's still getting work. Good for her. <laughs> but yeah, this is another one. I think we're kind of realizing as we go through these early two thousands or two thousand one movies specifically that. A lot of these casts were stacked. They had a lot of people that we really know now. Also, it's back when, like, they actually still care about actors in Hollywood. Like, where yes. it's not just, like, everything is not either built on the brand or the premise. Is that star power? Like, remember, this was the era of putting Tom Cruise's face on a poster, and it would get you to $100 million. Yep, absolutely. Okay, breaking news. Missy Pyle in 2006 was in something called Mojave Phone Booth. Oh. I can only hope it is... A remake of Joel Schumacher's phone booth, but takes place in the Mojave <laughs> Desert. So nobody's around and none of the tension is there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh, good old Colin Farrell. I don't even know. I think Phone Booth was like, what, 2005? <laughs> oh, God. That was what? I think that was 2002? Okay, earlier. Three, maybe? Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's a few years earlier. A couple years earlier. Uh, it seems that Mojave Phone Booth is not about that. Uh, the oh, film geez. is based on a real phone booth in the Mojave Desert that once accepted incoming calls but has since been removed. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> talk, about a, talk about a gripping synopsis. <laughs> How about that? How about that? Oh, man. Oh, man. So, yeah, I mean, with the uh, I, the product placement, I dig it. I dig this whole movie. I, I think that was kind of everything I wanted to talk about. I mean, we got Riverdale in there. I can only hope that we get a, a reunion of, of our original Pussycats in Riverdale at some point. If Riverdale's at Mothman now, Riverdale's going to get to time travel, and that just makes sense, right? <laughs> I, maybe. I, I, I don't know. Because like, I know like a couple of the clips I watch of Josie and the Pussycats on that show, Like it's just like – Oh god, because it's what it's it's just them doing like just music number like they're there, but like they're not really any sort of meaningful part of the show. Okay, from what I could tell, like sure, the few sure. clips I watched. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they will turn out to be the Mothman. I have no idea. <laughs> oh god, but yeah, like I said, just like against a couple of things, like a couple of lines in the movie that made me sure, laugh. Sure, is like you have like Alexandra Cabot, and she's like, unlike you bunch of whack jobs. I'm perfect just the way I am. And then you have, like, the CIA guy coming. He's like, holy shit, that girl has a skunk on her head. <laughs> yes, and he's like, oh, that's – he's like, he's like, oh, that's just your hair. Sorry. But that's messed yeah, up. Yeah, that's I just like, up. <laughs> That little button where he's like, oh, wait, just your hair. Sorry. But that's messed up. <laughs> and then the scene just continues. <laughs> but, like, even there's some clever foreshadowing in this, too, because, like, really early on when you have, like, the three girls outside, like – the gig they have at the bowling alley and they're mm-hmm. making fun of them. And I think I forget, it might be Rosario Dawson's like, what did you all sit there dressed the same? Yeah. And, and they're like, no. And then like, you have the whole thing of like, Oh, they're being conditioned through the music. Cause they're all wearing pink. Mm-hmm. And then you get the follow-up joke or the payoff to that is like, Oh, orange is the new pink. Yeah. So again, the movie is clever. Oh yeah. Yeah. I dig it. I love it. Is this is this the first instance? It's definitely in my history, but are there instances of the X is the new Y previously? Because I feel like that joke is just so – I mean like I know there's like Modern Family has done that joke where like one of the characters is like, you're never going to believe this. Kale is the new spinach, you know, and that's got to be what in like 2010, 2011 or something. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if there's instances of this prior to Josie and the Pussycats. It has to be. I can't imagine this originated with it. Sure, sure. I wonder where it would be though. Um, interesting, interesting. We need our we need our history of jokes, Zach. <laughs> <sighs> but just like, like another one of the parts of the movie that I always I, I found really just like funny was like when Josie becomes like evil for five minutes and she's like and she's like making fun of Rosario Dawson for like supporting her <laughs> yep. and she's like, "Who wants to be a rock star?" I'm a rock star. And like Rosario <laughs> Dawson like stomps off. Then she turns around to Tara Reed and she's like, Tara Reed, you know what happens to puppies? She's like, puppies turn into dogs who get old and die. <laughs> and then like and then we see like like we cut to like Rosario Dawson like packing her things. Like she like reminisces about like all the good times like her and Josie had. Yeah. And then like we cut to Tara Reed and Tara Reed's just playing with a bunch of puppies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, I love that scene. Is good when uh, Josie turns evil from the subliminal messaging. She, uh, as I as I thought of it, she goes full on uh, Raven Simone from the Cheetah Girls in that scene, 
And I also love this when that scene is like starting and what uh, Rosario Dawson and Tara Reid are like knocking on the door and then Josie like tells her, her whoever's doing her nails to like go answer the door and so she opens the door and there's just a quick moment when Rosario Dawson starts talking to the assistant but stops because she realizes it's not Josie. I just I love that little touch, you know, <laughs> like it seems like when they were filming it. They like, Rosario Dawson might have legitimately been expecting Josie to be the one opening the door or something like that. Like it's such a nice mm-hmm. little touch. Yeah, no, it's it, it's good. It's good. I guess just really one final thing. Like like there's a fi- there's a bunch of couple like really small gags in this. Mm-hmm. Like I love how like early in the film when you have Dijor, we didn't talk about like you have what. Seth Green, Donald Faison, Brecken like, Meyer, and uh, Alexander it, Martin, who does like nothing else ever again after this. <laughs> pretty much, but like I love how like you have you like you have those cameos in the beginning, and one of them has a monkey, and the monkey's name is Doctor Zayas. Yes, and like even it's so funny, <laughs> and then even at the end you have like. The one guy who, like you said, is the least famous, but everybody else who is famous, you don't see they're all in cast. But, like, you see, like, the Seth Green, like, character who was, like, earlier on wearing the top hat. Yeah. You see – you know it's supposed to be his character because it's, like, someone covered from head to toe in a cast, but it has the top hat. And the other guy has the monkey. Yeah. And the <laughs> monkey is in a cast. Yes, that was great. So do you – I didn't find this in any of my research, but when I – when that scene happens and it's them all in the casts, the full-body casts because they got beat up by Metallica or Metallica fans, that that can't be them, right? Like actually – like I, I would imagine like that's not Seth Green, Donald Faison, and Breckenmeyer. No, Meyer. I would imagine not. Yeah, that they had just other not. people and somehow Alexander Martin was you know there and he's like, yeah, I'll do that. I'll have one other line in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a great line, don't get me wrong, you know, I, I thank God every day, and the way he delivers it too, I thank God every day that I knew the words to enter Sandman. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought you guys were killed in a plane crash. That's what I thought, Wyatt. Oh, well, we managed to land the plane just fine. Unfortunately, it was in the parking lot of a Metallica shop. Well, the fans beat the crap out of us. Well, you don't look too bad. And I thank God every day I knew the words to enter Sandman. God, and I guess the one final thing I just want to talk about is that, like, oh, God, when we have Fiona giving her her speech or, like, her her evil plan, and we actually get a little mini PSA from Eugene Levy. Oh, yeah. It's which, a, basically the Mr. DNA scene from Jurassic Park. <laughs> Yes, I'm glad you brought that up. With Eugene Levy. (laughs) But what I find so funny is that, like, it was just two years earlier that, like, Eugene Levy kind of, like, exploded as, like, this ironic, like, oh, God, like, character is, like, Jim's dad. Yeah. And, like, this seems, like, like, weirdly ahead of its time again. Yep, absolutely. Because that's going to become, like, the... uh... Like the running gag that what Eugene Levy just shows up and whatever he's playing, he's just Eugene Levy, basically. <laughs> exactly. Like he went from being like Jim's dad to being Eugene Levy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. But like, yes, he has a thing where he explains like subliminal advertising to children. <laughs> yeah, I like, I like that. Where what Parker Posey's like, we have a short animated feature to explain this to you to all like the government people and like the Chinese diplomats and stuff like that. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. Like, like if you could please insert that entire little bit with him because it's because <laughs> right it's pretty great. It's pretty great. 
To answer some of your questions, we've produced a short educational film. Lights! Hello, I'm Eugene Levy, and yes, I'm an actor. No, I said cappuccino. I'm here to talk to you about something very important. No, it's not about me or my career. I'm here to talk about subliminal messages in rock and roll music, or as it's simply known in some cultures, rock music. You see, for years the government has been wisely coercing teenagers to buy products they normally wouldn't want just to get their money. Fact, kids don't have bills to pay. Fact, they don't pay taxes. But they do babysit and hold minimum wage jobs that earn them wads of cash as thick as, well, my body of work. But these kids today aren't dumb. They're not going to buy just anything. That's why the government has been finding small subliminal advertising suggestions in today's rock music. The results? We can now get these kids to buy just about anything. We can have them chasing a new trend every week. And that is good for the economy. And what's good for the economy is good for the country. So God bless the United States of America, the most ass-kicking country in the world. Yeah, speaking of, uh, it's not really a cameo, because uh, from what I found, it's his first movie appearance. But one of the fans that's screaming into the camera at the beginning is Justin Chatwin, who I think we only ever talk about as the the son that appears alive at the end of Spielberg's War of the Worlds. <laughs> oh, yeah, I didn't even know that. Yeah, yeah, it was one of those things I, I saw him on, like, prep and, and watching it for this recording, and I was like, oh, that looks so familiar. Like, who is that? And it's Justin Chatwin. I guess more people would know him or f- want to forget about him. He was uh, Goku in the Dragon Ball live-action movie that everybody hates. <laughs> Ah, another movie that doesn't exist. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But I, I know, I think we talked about it earlier this series, the Spielberg's War of the Worlds, where the son, for some reason, runs away, and he's like, I want to join the army, which also matches with this movie. He just wants to join the army spontaneously. <laughs> and then he gets to the mother's house before every other one of our main characters somehow. <laughs> Truly, inex- like, that's... Oh god, that's such a weird movie. Yes. Like, I know we've talked about that, but like maybe for the, the 2005 uh, Fort year, we'll get into that. <laughs> All right, Rob. But that being said, is there anything else you'd like to talk about about Josie and Dem Putty Cats? No, I don't think so. I think uh, that everybody should check it out, and that is a perfect transition into our questions. And uh, I want to start with late night because I know you mentioned it before. And and I guess I was getting at it as well with the people when I mention it, their brain turns off, it seems. Um, but I think this would absolutely be a late night movie for me. And this is one of those instances where I think, you know, it's uh, if I have somebody in my clutches type of thing. Because I think maybe as I think about it more, when I describe this category of movies that for some reason when I recommend people are like, they think I'm joking or something. Maybe all of those are late night movies. Maybe all of those are, you know you kidnap somebody and force them to watch it and you hope for the best case scenario which is afterwards when you let them go they don't press charges because you've <laughs> actually bettered them for having them watch it <laughs> mm. and it's not like there's any other there's torture going on they're just watching a movie you know sure rob sure <laughs> that's perfect that's the perfect defense in court it's like you're on charges for kidnapping and it's like well i didn't hurt them 
it was good conditions, <laughs> you know? It's like it's like the opposite of pain and gain where they're playing what Tony Shalhoub's being tortured for like yucks. Where here it's like, no, I just sat them down and yes, they were constrained and yes, they were tied to the chair. But I mean, like, I gave him popcorn. <laughs> so I oh, think this God. is an absolute late night movie. And I don't think it's any surprise for cinemodities. I think this is a cinemodity as well, just for how... I think it falls into one of those, you know, I, I, I love it so much, and there's things I, I shouldn't like, but I or I don't expect to like, but I do like it. And any movie, like I said, that has, like, bounced dryer sheets and cell phones on airplane walls hung up like art museum exhibits, that just works for me on every level. <laughs> and this is the other thing, like I mentioned before, with Tara Reid and the coasters. I, this is one of those things, like, anybody has coasters, I'll always make that joke. I'll be like, coasters? And I'll be like, more coasters! Nobody gets that joke! More people need to see this movie so they will get, they will understand why I'm so excited about coasters when I see them. <laughs> <sighs> coasters. Co- yeah, beautiful, she gets it. I don't think coasters. we mentioned that. So get, they get into the, the limo with uh, Alan Cumming. And we do get that great joke where Rosario Dawson is like, hey, wait. And he's like, oh, I did not notice you were not in the car with us. But come on, get in. And when Tara Reid gets in the car, she's like, more coasters. (laughs) Hey! Oh, so sorry, Valerie. I had no idea you weren't in here. (laughs) Come on. More coasters. Oh god. So I'm going I'm going a yes to both, of course, no surprise. But now now how many mental hoops did you have to jump through to answer these questions, Zach? <laughs> well, Rob, as for Cinemati, it's a hundred percent a yes. This film is a genuine okay, oddity. Okay. Uh especially in the time period that it was created in. Yes. Like I think if it came out now, it would not be because it just just seems like prime fodder for like this weird sort of like meta culture that we live in. It is a, an oddity. It's a cinemodity. As for late night movie, I am going to cite the Halloween 3 season of The Witch Precedent and say <laughs> no. I think most people that you would show this to would not get it and they would find it jarring. And they like, – it would take – I'm going to say no, but it would take someone that really, really appreciates this type of just kind of film – and I wouldn't even know what that means when I say this type of film. Like just someone okay, who's really okay. able to – that's really able to appreciate subtext and read between the lines. Sure. So I, think the, if, I think the synonym for what you're saying is um, a hostage. <laughs> 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 I think we're in agreement. We might have different answers, but I think we're in agreement on how you get somebody to watch this movie. <laughs> that's the problem, Rob. I, I think you have a hard time getting someone to really – appreciate this film for what it is <laughs> and because of that rap, Rob, Rob is still laughing at his joke um, I know I, I'm, I'm also laughing at I thought you were going to say that's the problem it might be hard to capture somebody <laughs> uh, but yes I, it's going to be a no for me as for late night movie okay okay sure I, I, I get where you're coming from this one is uh, understandable and I'm glad you agreed with me on cinemodities because if you were going to say something else I was going to have to bust out like I know uh, it was – we talked about it to a great extent. I know this for a fact. On our three-year extravaganza episode, revisiting uh, if a movie that sweeps the Oscars can be a cinemodity in regard to Silence of the Lambs. Um, but I was going to say, could a movie that in an ideal world of cinemodities sweeps the Oscars be a cinemodity? <laughs> <laughs> so you're telling me an alternate cinema, cinemodity reality – Cin- cinema rat reality? Cinema <laughs> I'm trying to think of a good word. 
yeah. we got to think of a what's it? We got to think of a portmanteau for uh, cinemati yeah. reality. Um, realmodity, realmodity. Yeah, realmodity is pretty good. I like that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that'd be interesting. Can yes. a film that sweeps our awards contention <laughs> sit there uh, be an oddity? Yes, yes. Um, I guess. Yeah, I think the answer is yes. If, sure, if we're setting sure. the, if we're setting the goalposts, then why not? Because I think next week, not to like tip our well, I think we've already tipped our hand, but just to tip it even further, is that like next week's film is the definition of a film that would sweep a hypothetical cinema. I was like, just awards. thinking that if we had to give out the 2001 awards, Josie and the Pussycats would not sweep because Freddie got fingered would sweep. <laughs> Freddie got fingered out. Like I said, as somebody who like rewatched that recently, Freddie got fingered is, is a, <clears throat> a definitive clash of the Titans for cinema. <laughs> oh yeah. It is. It's up there with a racer head as in just like, it is just potent cinema. Oh my god! I can't. I cannot wait. I cannot <laughs> wait because, like, I, like I've been saying, I've been setting it up for this fort year and probably longer that I fucking can quote that whole movie. And even we talked about it in this one. This movie starts with with people screaming at the camera. Freddie Got Fingered starts in almost a, the exact same way, but it's Tom Green describing his drawings. And then the beaver got angry at the other beaver. You stupid beaver! You stupid beaver! Banana shows up and says, "You want the job of a former penman? Banana can't be a former penman. You want the job? You got the job! You got the job!" <laughs> on the backwards man. On the backwards man. Backwards oh man. <laughs> it's finally gonna come to fruition next week, where I feel like people are gonna. Well, well, I'll, I'll save it because I have a very, I have so much to say about that. Um, the, I think the best way to describe next week's episode is our discussion of that will also be like Freddy Got Fingered in that the premise is, what if you were staring into the eye of Satan for 90 minutes? <laughs> in a good way. That's a really good thing. <laughs> I like to imagine that's a tagline on the box. <clears throat> that's, well, I, I, I like to imagine when we I, – I, I want to make a hardcore pitch to Criterion to finally do the Freddy Got Fingered like special edition. And I want Rob to write the like accompanying essay that they include in the yes, book yes. or in the release. And I want that to be the pull quote from it. It's like <laughs> staring into the eye of Satan, dot, 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 and that's a good thing. Oh, that's perfect. I yeah, there's a, there's a few movies that I would love to write the essay for the Criterion booklet for. And uh Freddy Godfingered is absolutely probably my number one that I would want to write the uh the the essay for. That Odd Sack Southland Tales. <laughs> Freddy Godfingered truly oh, the most per- I, 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 not to take Rob Josie and the Pussycats of of its essence because it is a great film in yes. of itself yes. in, in Cinemati's world, but like oh god, Freddie got fingered. Oh god, it's, it this is. is the great double feature, and we're doing it in the right order as well. I think yes, we're not going to the turnstiles this time. Yes, absolutely. As, oh, and we can talk about Rip Torn. You don't have a job. <laughs> You're out here eating on uh, with my money. With your retarded whore girlfriend, or your retarded whore cripple girlfriend. I am not retarded. <laughs> oh god! Oh my god! Like oh god! What, what's what's the science here in the movie? When the fuck is this movie going? To end? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I want to know if somebody still has that prop from the movie because I want that. I want that framed. Oh god. <laughs> I want that whole movie framed. 
God. Like, I, I, I found the jewels, Dad. I found the jewels. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wonderful. I can't wait. I can't wait. And I'm, I'm going <gasps> to watch that movie probably two more times before we record it. Maybe even more, even though I've seen it a million times in my life. <laughs> oh, my God. I wonder if I – oh, God. We, we have to do that, right? Like, we, okay, Rob, make a note. We have to go to the – what's the website called that we look up like celebrity stuff? Oh, Tadler? <laughs> we have to see what Tom Green does. We've got okay, to see what okay. like want to send Tom Green my DVD and ask him to sign it. I can't believe you didn't remember that even though we just discussed it on our three-year anniversary episode. Yes, I'm sorry, Rob, <laughs> that we discussed it. I'm sorry, Rob, I'm asking you to remind me about something that we already discussed a month ago. I am oh, sorry. <laughs> we went through the turnstiles one too many times. Yes, yes. All right. Well, good uh, tangent on uh, Tom Green and next week's episode. <laughs> but I guess that leaves us snacks for Josie and the Pussycats. And, and this is one of those movies that we're kind of in this this pocket for. And I think the fort year um, that, you know, I'm I'm I love so much that I just fall into the trap of watching and not really come up with a lot of snacks. But I do have some. Um, I think one, of course, uh, whenever utensils are served, I know we have a lot of weird utensils in the restaurant. Whenever chopsticks are served we replace them with drumsticks because we get to see tara reed eating ramen with drum with drumsticks in place of chopsticks at a certain point in this movie and i figured that would just go well with our what nicholas cage's axe from mandy and things like that yes. we just have drumsticks as chopsticks <laughs> did you ever did you ever see or know about how in uh the m night Shyamalan movie after earth like the futuristic utensils they have are three-pronged chopsticks Really? Have you ever heard of it? Yeah, like there's no, a few scenes. I know scenes... the movie, but I've never seen it. Okay, okay. I, I've heard that there. I've I've never seen it either, but I've heard that it's like the futuristic technology is three pronged chopsticks. Drumsticks are way better. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my first one. I wanted uh, drumsticks in place of chopsticks, and then the other one I thought of was because, as I'm pretty sure we established last week in our suck and blow episode, we have a an airport in the Cinemodities restaurant. We should have the Cinemodities private jet that is just for, like, us and our VIPs and stuff that is just loaded with Cinemodities product placement. So, like, everything that we have in the gift shop is in there. Our logo is just plastered all over the place, much like the Motorola plane or the Target plane that we see in this movie. <laughs> mm. Go ahead. Go ahead. And that was – I think that was it. I mean, there were some other food – low-hanging food things, I think, but I didn't want to just pick those out. But what did you have for snacks? Uh, first, I want cartoon character like loofahs of of Robin Zach and other sort of things from Perfect. the restaurant. Perfect. I want that. Oh. I do want know that I've always wondered about this ever since I've seen this film that we see like Terry using like like we see the like French fry like loofah yep. and we see the other like McDonald Land characters. I don't think those are loofahs. I think they just gave her like stuffed animals. And told her to use them as a loofah. <laughs> I could totally see that happening. That they just had like the actual like merchandise of from McDonald's at a certain point, and they're just like, just do it up, just use it like a loofah. <laughs> That's what I mean, because like I've never heard of McDonald's like character loofahs. Like I know like McDonald's merchandise the hell out of those characters. Like yeah, yeah, in like the eighties, nineties, and like early two thousands. I have, I still have a single chicken nugget action figure. <laughs> Do you? Yeah, it's just a chi- it's not even an action figure, it's just a chicken nugget with a flat base so it stands up and it has a face on it. <laughs> oh god. Um but yes, I think that's the case, but I think we should have actual like you know what? Screw it, not even a loofah. We're going to have little plushes 
of Rob Zach, Nelson De La Rosa, like <laughs> all these things. And they're going to be in like, there'll be a little tag that says like Zach Rob plush. Yes. Encouraged as a loofah. Okay. Okay. I dig that. I am wholeheartedly excited about the idea of someone washing themselves with plushes of us, Zach. That's a world I need to live in. <laughs> like, yes. Being like you, like when, of course, we have reached world domination as the Cinemati's restaurant and brand eventually will. I would love for us to be walking somewhere and people come up to us and get excited to see us, much like you know they get excited to see Josie and the Pussycats in this movie. And I would love, you know, have people be like, oh, I love your podcast. I listen to you all the time. Oh, I love your restaurant. I had a, an ex-boyfriend that I really didn't like that got lost in there. It was great. Uh, I would love for somebody to come up to us and be like, I wash myself with your plushies. <laughs> <laughs> That's the height of fame if I've ever, if I've ever heard it. <laughs> Hashtag podcasting goals. Oh, man. Okay, that's a, that's a really good one um, because that's a great way to market our walk-around characters. <laughs> oh, God. And I guess, like, because like you said, there's not a lot of just outright foodness mm-hmm. other than just, like, product placement food, like, like a Big Mac, things like that. Yeah, the Big Mac with the Pringles and Oreos and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, God. But I think what we need, as reference, when the pussycats go to the bathroom to uh, – to discuss the deal that Wyatt's uh, offering them. Mm-hmm. I think we need a tampon vending machine in the ladies' room. Ooh, this sounds vaguely familiar. Like we have something vending machine in a bathroom. I don't remember what the vending machine is for, have a, Don't we have like a cigarette vending machine at some that, point? Okay, that has to be it. That has – I don't know for sure, but when you say that, it's just like that would be make perfect sense. When I'm editing this, I will do another Control-F for cigarettes in the spreadsheet, and if there isn't a vending machine in the bathroom for cigarettes, I'll put one in there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, cause like, come on. There's a bunch of stuff we could pull from for this movie. Like I like the idea of having a car on display just to like dispose of like unwanted people oh, that we want to get rid of. Yeah, like right. I, I, would, I would love that. Like there's a lot you can pull from this though, but a lot of it just feels like like, it, like there's so many that you don't want to go overboard. Yeah, yeah, I I hear you, I hear you. Um, I also absolutely love the fact that after three years we finally got to the point where I can say, Zach, what snacks do you have for this movie? And you go loofahs. <laughs> <laughs> Like, without missing a beat, it's like we have established the language of what snacks means. It's almost an <laughs> undefined term now. <laughs> oh, that's what I mean. I feel like Cinemodis almost needs, like, an instructional manual Manual now when you get into it. Like, I feel like, like, whereas, like, like, I'm, like not to go back, but to, like, reference blank check, to, like, like, they'll reference, like, the box office game. And, like, every few episodes, like, one of them will give some context as to what that is. Mm-hmm. We just, like, we do not do that. Like, we <laughs> yes. have not explained the Cinemati's restaurant. Like, what, maybe once every six to nine months we'll explain what the restaurant is? Yeah, Like, you'll exactly. just be like, it's an infinite void in the spot that Mars 2112 took up in Times Square. <laughs> and that's, like, pretty much the extent that the context goes to the Cinemati's restaurant. Yep, yep. When when uh, when you were on your hiatus and I uh, had all these new guests, I always explained to restaurant the restaurant to them in the same way, which is how I will still explain it now because I fell in love with it. It's uh, it's a restaurant in Times Square, New York, where Mars 2112 used to be. It's finite on the outside, infinite on the inside, and it's totally real. That's all you need to know. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching some video on YouTube. It was about like like themed, like super themed restaurants, like Rainforest Cafe, like Plant Hollywood, mm-hmm. like restaurants like that. And they referenced Mars 2112. And the person I was with, I'm like, yeah, that's where my restaurant is. And they just, <laughs> and they just look at me, and it's like, and it's like, and I didn't say anything back. 
<laughs> Good. <laughs> Good. That is where my restaurant is. It's Mars 2112. Our restaurant, Rob. Our restaurant. <laughs> yes, yes, we know. We're 50-50 until the legal problems cover come up, and then I'm 51, you're 49. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> we know God, how it until, goes. Mar- until Mariska Hargitay shows up. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> oh God. Okay. Well, uh, I think then we've already said what we're discussing next week. It's going to be uh, we're going to a masterpiece. Zach Truly... and I are going to look into the eye of Saint Satan, and uh, it, our audience that listens to that episode will listen to people discussing looking into the eye of Satan, which I think by the transitive property they will be listening to the mouth of Satan. Uh, we'll get into all that. But Freddy Got Fingered next week, I'm so excited. It's a just like Monkey Bone. It's one of them that's been on the list to talk about on this podcast since the start. Um, I'm so jacked up. And then uh, we'll have to eventually, I don't know, talk about Shrek at a certain point. But I, I'm putting that off. I'm not thinking about that. I'm going to stay in my happy place. Well, Rob, before you do Shrek, we have Pearl Harbor. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. Three, but Rob, it's Ben Affleck. Show me the harbor. <laughs> what, what is it? Cuba Gooding Jr.'s in that, right? He's in Front yes, Harbor. Yes, right? yes. I'm, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like I, I, Show oh me God. the harbor. <laughs> oh, speaking of in real time, because last week when we did Suck and Blow, we talked about Tom Cruise. And I said that I was pretty sure that Tom Cruise did Show Me the Mummy for the press tour for the mummy mm-hmm. and you said I, I I quote you said I hope that doesn't exist. It totally exists and I put the cliff in. <laughs> Did it? Oh god. I found it. Oh, I found it, Zach. <laughs> the world is a terrible place, but at least we're in our own bubble of Josie and the Pussycats and Freddie Got Fingered. <laughs> oh god. I'm trying to think, Rob, has there ever been another movie that we've discussed on Cinematis or anything that's as potent as Freddy Got Fingered? I, I think the the I would say no, first off. And the closest thing, the close second, maybe not even close second, the thing in second would be Freaked, I think. Would it be Freaked or would it be Wonder Chosen? Ooh, that's a good one. Wonder Chosen is probably second place. Freaked is probably third. Because Wonder Chosen... Wonder Chosen is... I don't think I would describe Freaked as looking into the eye of Satan. Wonder Chosen is probably lo- if Wonder Chosen is looking into the left eye of Satan, Freddy Got Fingered <laughs> is looking into the right eye of Satan. <laughs> okay. And okay, whenever I'll we figure that. out what else fits in that category, it will be looking into the third eye of Satan. Because <laughs> like we talked about that, like like the infamous like like or not infamous, the hypothetical clash of the titans for Cinematis. Yes, like it'd be a, yes. it'd be a racer head. Freddy Got Fingered. Um, like, like, what else? Like, I, I, I'm trying to think. Like, did we ever include Mortal Engines in there? I don't think so. I, for some reason, I feel like Book of Henry got put on a pedestal, but that was before we even had Book of this Henry, notion. But I think it yeah. would be up there. Yeah, Book of Henry. Like, I, 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 I don't even think Book of Henry's at that level. Yeah, yeah. Of ins- like this sheer insanity. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Like even even L's. Like, like, like mm-hmm. would L's be up there? No, not not quite. Elf has some pretty weird shit in it, though. Oh, ab- absolutely, yeah. I mean, <laughs> are you an elf? Is that your goddamn? Is that your God- are you is that your goddamn elf? <laughs> are you a Nazi? Is that your goddamn elf? <laughs> what are you, a goddamn Nazi or something? Is that elf yours? Is that your goddamn Bunce elf? M- I love it. Bunce McGavin. Bunce McGavin. Yeah. God bless Bunce McGavin. <laughs> oh my God. 
So I think Once that leaves us with how we end this episode. I, th- I think it's no contest. Uh, it's going to be a backdoor lover. And I'll, I think I actually want to do like, a, like a, a medley of backdoor lover and three small words in reverse. Oh, yeah. There's some, like I said, the music in this is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's solid. It's expecting solid you to pull it up pop. on your Spotify now that you've heard it. <gasps> you're going to mix it in I, with I, uh, I, your I, Vox Lux and whatever. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. Vox Lux is, is a perfect – Perfect soundtrack. Let's not get this confused with that. <laughs> Zach's like, am I in a Vox Lux? Am I in a Celeste mood? Am I in a Josie mood? Fun fact: <laughs> Am I'm I in an old. Odd Sack mood? <laughs> Fun and Zach's fact, like, Zach no, is... because Odd Sack is not on Spotify still. <laughs> Fun fact: Zach is always in a Celeste mood. Of course. <laughs> All right. Well, then, until next week. Uh, just get get ready for that. I think the only thing for next week's discussion that will resemble a regular episode will be the intro, and then it's just going to be ridiculousness from there on out. <laughs> Indeed. I say Geneva. You hear Helsinki? 50,000 fucking Deutschmarks! <laughs> <laughs>